We who are about to die salute you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of Moratory Mondays. Uh, Chris and Chris here to break down the 14th issue of Strike Force Moratory on uh, what is a uh, pretty busy and hectic uh, weekend here at the channel. So, uh, pretty big weekend, but uh, we're moving forward into uh, into our regular Monday fair here. How you doing, Chris? Oh, we're basically essential workers at this point. I think we're, so. We're, we are providing the masses with necessary quarantine required listening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And we want to thank think, every. <laughs> I think I think we even had that that international border thing going on there, didn't we? I think it's the literally the only thing that uh, that Trump and Trudeau agree on right now is that moratory Mondays must, must come out every Monday. Continue. So yes, it's I've been true. told it's, by uh, by Justin. It's been, yes, it's been signed into law. Uh, uh, Governor uh, Doug Ducey of Arizona has uh, has signed it into law here. They closed down all the hair salons and spas, but Moratory Mondays is still open for business. So uh, <laughs> we want to thank everyone for sticking around and coming back each and every week since we've been back. Uh, this is, uh, I guess you could call this season two, episode three after our uh, long hiatus. But uh, we are keeping them out regular and uh, hoping to continue for the uh, foreseeable Absolutely. future. Um, now, before we get into our issue, uh, we might as well hop into our recruit update. Uh, when last we left, some shady stuff was going on. How about you catch oh, us all up? Oh, boy, did some stuff go down, and we are right in the middle of things. So when we last saw our recruits, we had Med and Dreamscape. Now, they were flanked by the Red Watch and, of course, a very alive Harold Everson leading the charge, a.k.a. Viking. And they returned in a blaze of glory. They're headed via portal to Earth-87. Now, that's the world of the moratory that we know and love in the comic books. And their trip uh, is created via portal by our own moratory recruit, Dreamscape, who brings our team straight into moratory labs, where the process creator himself, uh, Mr. Dr. Tulima, is uh, ready and willing to greet them. But uh, we see something a little bit uh, crazy go off the the charts here. We Mm -hmm. actually get to see Dreamscape suddenly turn heel and cold-bloodedly murders Dr. Tulima right in front of everybody, revealing that the Red Watch and Harold himself, even though he's reborn, is not what they appear. So now poor Med, seemingly now alone, is surrounded by his friends, except they've gone super hostile, and he begs the, uh, the foe Harold to explain what exactly he's doing. Now... Why has he betrayed the moratory after being reborn? We don't know. You know, he, he betrayed the very cause that he gave his life for. It does, you know, it, uh, we have some loose ends here, my friend. So sure. Harold, Harold smirks and notes that the very source of the power of the manifestation process of the moratory, the actual power source is the star brand, which we know from U- New Universe fame, and is contained... Mm-hmm. According to their their uh, contacts, it's contained somewhere in this facility. But he said, you need to help us do one further thing. And Harold motions the watch to push Med 
and he forces them at gunpoint towards a large capsule at the back of the research facility. Now, Med has no idea what's happening here. He sees this giant capsule in the back. Med watches in horror, of course, as the Red Watch assassinates all the poor other scientists who were attempting to flee. They all get mowed down, you know, trying to avoid shooting attacks, but they're not successful. So he's watching people die left and right around him, scared for his own life. Harold steps over to the container, and he easily inputs a code, which unlocks the vessel. Now, steam sears out of the corner of the vessel, and the chamber opens, and it reveals a very large Hordian form, very much deceased. Now, Harold, who is clearly not Harold, begins speaking in half-human, half-alien speech, clutching his earpiece, and mentions what sounds like Commander Thunderfist, a fallen Hordian commander, is the person who's actually in the, uh, in the capsule. He forces Med to put his hands on the parish leader and says, in no uncertain terms, bring back the commander or perish beneath our flame. Now, Med, of course, focuses attention on the hulking Hordian body as his hand starts to glow. You know, his moratory powers are working. They're flowing through the sick Hordian form. And suddenly, almost like a resuscitating surge, his eyes of the expired commander just shoots open, just as if he's like shocked back into life. Now, Mm -hmm. Viking grabs him, throwing him halfway across the floor from their leader, who instantly reanimates back to life. So, you know, he's alive and well after getting the shock to the system. And he motions to the Red Watch, utterly cold now. You know, with Med's usefulness now expired, he just says, kill him. Anyway, in the back of the laboratory, blasts ring out. So they roar out right through the lab. When Harold, who is assisting the Hordian commander, hears not one, but two bodies hit the ground. This Hmm. was certainly not Med. He turns around. He knows something is up. He sees uh, he sees the smolding bodies of his own original black watch, now the red watch, laying on the ground. And emerging from a portal in a large, silver-plated, fully, almost strife-like armor is our good friend Splinter Red, who last episode, who stood back. And he's sporting a very large shoulder cannon, and he motions toward the Hordian commander. He says, your veil has been lifted, comrade. Both of you Hordian scum should be dead. We will make no mistake this time. To be continued. Mm. So it looks like our good friend, um, our good friend Splinter Red, has been on to the con the entire time, and he's come to Med's rescue. So it's going to be interesting times as we get to see Moratory versus Moratory slash Alien Betrayers next it's episode. True. Wow, absolutely love that stuff. This is a, uh, this it's it's just ramping up, and it will continue to ramp up. And you know what? We're going to be uh, actually getting a letters page this issue where uh, <laughs> Wait, for, for, for what book <laughs> are we covering a different book? <laughs> Believe it or not, Strike Force Moratory has a letters page and one of the letter writers actually gives himself a moratory name, like as though he's part of the crew here. I think maybe, maybe, uh, you know, uh, give uh, maybe we might give that person a uh, a membership. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'll try to track him down via Twitter. Once we reveal his name, yes. if somebody knows this person who's still alive, they get honorary membership into our Absolutely. <laughs> so this, he might be showing up anytime. You never know. But, uh, but for the reason we're here today is, of course, Strike Force Moratory number 14. And uh, we're not in 1987 anymore. Believe no, it or not. We are, we are double, uh, double eights here, my friend. 1988. Absolutely. This is the uh, third calendar year of this series. So uh, 
it's getting it's getting you know some rings you know if we cut if we cut this title in half there'll be there'll be three rings there at this point um <laughs> now the book is called all my trials which uh Last time out said, all my trials, enough said, and we weren't exactly sure what that could mean. Uh, we had our ideas, of course, and uh, those ideas were well, pretty much on point. But uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about a trial. Um, this one was written by our, you know, our normal team here. We have Peter B. Gillis uh, doing the story, Brent Anderson on pencils, Al Williamson on inks, Phil Ooh. Felix on letters. Al yeah. Williamson on inks of Star Wars fame. Love you, brother Al. There you are. Uh, all right. Colors from the off-the-market Max Scheel, as we learned last uh, last episode, uh, she got married. Um, assistant edits, Mark McLaurin edits, Carl Potts. The Cheese, Tom DeFalco. Oh, what book? What book, Chris? Uh, uh, DDP, uh, Mark Hazard. Um, which one is it? Kickers, Inc. Kickers, Inc. Oh, there he is. There. <laughs> He's responsible, people. Flank him. <laughs> this one had a cover price of $0.75 cents USD. 95 cents can 40p uk or uk i, I um, like this because this was our last chance in canada before we broke the dollar before we broke the loony here people we're at 95 <laughs> cents on the cusp of breaking the dollar and it would never go back to this so no, 1988 no. was a glorious year it was the end of the non-folding money era so uh it's a uh, scary times ahead um now, this one came out, uh, allegedly, uh, according to Mike's Amazing World, on September 1st, 1987, which I'm not entirely sure of, because if that is accurate, and if Mike's Amazing World's uh, numbers for the issue prior are also accurate, they're only spaced one week apart, which <laughs> I, I just don't see that happening. <laughs> Brent Anderson churning those babies out. He is just killing it. Um, speaking of killing it, we have, uh, I think we finally have a great cover. We have a, like a wow. classic cover here. Um, now this one, it's a, it's like a black cover and it features our original Moratory members, which are, you know, the surviving second and first generation members. They're standing in a, a stark spotlight and there's an accusatory finger pointing at them. The story title of all my trials is included, which, uh, which tells us right here that the trial in question will likely be something along the lines of the dreaded court-martial that we heard about last issue for yes. our heroes. They should have named this the Strike Force Moratory Get Fingered. Yes, they are. They are fingered <laughs> and pointed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> up, in the, up in the corner box. So an interesting corner box. I'm a big corner box fan. I don't know about <laughs> you. Oh, but up absolutely. in the corner, we have uh, good old Radian. He's actually got his full form. And then you got, like, the floating heads. So you mm -hmm. have, you know, you got Scaredy Cat. You've got uh, Scatterbrain. You've got Toxin. And what appears to be Aileen. I don't know if that's Aileen. It's it's one of the... It's, it's a very It's a very unusual version of her, if it actually is. But uh, I was questioning myself. But I, I believe it to be true. But anyway... The uh, looks like the second and the remaining first generation, which is down to exactly two people here right now, are going on trial this episode. Absolutely. They absolutely is. Um, now, we, we hop into the issue here. And, uh, hey, you remember how the Moratory uh, escaped from the Horde's Jupiter proximal base in the Hordean pod last issue? Uh, yeah, okay, okay. of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would seem that they weren't alone. We had a single Hordian stowing away uh, with them here, I, I, at least if I'm understanding this art right. 
And uh, <laughs> of course, of course they did. You've all listen. Behind every door is always a horde trooper. So you guarantee you there was it was only a matter of time before horde. You know, we had a stowaway amongst our midst. So we know that there was exactly one door on that escape on that escape pod. <laughs> There's one horde in here. If there were two doors, there'd be at least two. Um, <laughs> And it's here where we where we meet this Hordian soldier here. Uh, now, uh, we're not supposed to understand him. You know, he doesn't have a translator, but, you know, through the magic of comic book editing, we do get like an inside look at his thought process here. Uh, he's there. He laments his bad luck. And, of course, he does confirm that he does not have a translator. The one he brought with him is, is dead. So he won't be able to effectively communicate with any of the Earthers or wherever he thinks he might have wound up. Exactly. Now. He rummages through the crashed craft, and he only manages to find a single weapon, a small sidearm pistol. So his big firepower, there ain't none. It's just little pistols. Now, he peers out of the ship, and he sees the relatively busy and illuminated streets of Detroit, Michigan. Mm, so now, so think, think about this for a second. Hmm. The only thing that, of all places to land, in the middle of Detroit City, and you're mm-hmm. armed with just a little gun... <laughs> and this is in so, the future. If we, sorry if about we your know, luck. If we know anything about 80s movies, Detroit goes to pot in the future. <laughs> That's true. Now, in order to clear a path for him to escape, he tosses an EM pulse grenade, which I, I thought he only had a little pistol. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't even have pouches. So this is one of the most under-blinged Hordian troopers I've ever seen. Yes. So every, Every time we've seen a horde, a horde trooper or Hordian trooper, they've always had, you know, trinkets hanging from them. They're they've covered in had, flare. Yeah. Yeah. He has like the most basic. It's like, you know, giving someone a T-shirt and saying, here's your uniform. You know what I mean? It's like extremely basic. Although he has like gladiator, you know, uh, wristbands, like metal wristbands and sure. the weirdest mid-thigh protectors. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's a very basic <laughs> uniform for a guy, and I don't yeah. know where he's putting his uh, EM pulse, but uh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? He's got one. Yeah, he's he definitely has one because he lobs this thing into uh, into the square, and uh, the EM pulse that emanates of it shatters all of the lights in the area. It's like there's spotlights and floodlights and all sorts of lights. They're all shattered, and uh, this also causes a lot of the civilians to scatter. One woman, though, decides not to run away. She's just there. <laughs> and uh, she is quickly murdered by our <laughs> new alien friend. Yeah. Well, up to, up to this point, we looked like we were seeing a very different, you know, a very different version of a horde warrior. You know, someone who wasn't an animal, someone who was confused by a war he didn't start, you know. And, and you're almost starting to go, hey, you know, he start, he's thinking like a rational human being here. Then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he murders a, murders a woman in cold blood, which... Uh, right? Which are uh, which lays the groundwork for things to come in this issue. So uh, this is this issue alone is one of the best character perspectives you're going to see on the horde. And, sure. Uh, and probably our our views of how we treat people who are different or people from uh, other races will differ after this book. So Could it's a power, it's, it's a powerful one. Yep. There's a it is. And, you know, going back to uh, to the observation that he isn't wearing a bunch of flair and a bunch of trinkets. We might be able to assume that this fella is just really, really low on the pecking order, you know, like he might just be a, a you know, an, a, a, just a, you know, a, a foot on the ground, you know, a, a barely into the army or whatever they're calling the uh, Hordian forces uh, conglomerate, you know, he's brand new, 
maybe he hasn't collected flair. He hasn't collected trinkets. He's uh, this is one of his first, you know, out of the base sort of scenarios here. I and, do like uh, that. I do like that analogy. That's good. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, and, and you know, like like you said, the the t-shirt thing. What was it in Star Trek where they just wore like the plain red red shirt? They're just a <laughs> if, uh, like yeah, a brand new if, and expendable. Yeah, if you're a red shirt, you knew you were going to meet your demise. Basically, that was the entire <laughs> joke behind the original Star Trek series, and it continued on. But yeah, <laughs> he, he looks like he's literally wearing a red shirt. So I don't know yep. what this ever done. <laughs> now, from here, after this, uh, you know, cold-blooded murder of just a random woman. We shift scenes to Triad, North Carolina, which we would know in our time as the Greensboro, Raleigh, Durham area. And uh, in this Triad, North Carolina, North Carolina, even an industrial plant is just ablaze, roaring fire here. Now, the firefighters surround the place in preparation of battling back those flames. But then the Moritori show up all three generations of them. So. You know, we got Louie and uh, Aileen from the first gen, all three second geners, and the slew of third geners we met last issue. Now, they coordinate their powers and work together in order to stifle the fire, and the entire operation is a rousing success. It's almost as though it was uh, planned to be such a rousing success. Yes, you think uh, you think the and the media, of course, was on hand to capture all this. Uh, sure. All this, uh, you know, bravado happening here, and uh, just go through exactly what we're seeing here. Yeah, yeah, because this is like a like you tip the first domino and then all the powers kick in. It's interesting here. <laughs> we start with uh, Brava tips the first domino by using her strength to control uh, like a like a, just a roaring fire hose, you know, just this like a fire plug just spurting. Hard case. Well, it's a thought <laughs> that counts. He uh, <laughs> he solidifies the resulting foam from that hose into something they call a fireproof rod. I don't get it. Like, out of all things that you can create, like his powers, his entire power is to take things that are, you know, I, I, I guess not hard, <laughs> non-soft yeah. or non-hard items and make them hard. That's his entire power base. That's it. And, and his contribution to the team is to make a fireproof rod. Yeah. I guess so. I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> the next domino uh, includes Scaredy Cat, who, if we remember from the past few issues, owns boots that allow her to fly. Okay, She can fly, yeah. and she's super fast. Instead of using her uh, flying boots, she runs up this fireproof rod to get closer to the fire. So it's almost like they're ah. making sure everybody gets to display their powers here for a particular reason. I Even wonder why that Cat, would be. I wonder, because Scaredy Cat doesn't need this damn rod, but she uses it anyway. Uh, our buddy Backhand, who is the, uh, you know, the, what is it, uh, Mattingly, the uh, the fake Herald, yes. he uh, uses his uh, powers of deflection to fire back the blasts of heat. Yeah, and this sort of makes sense here, because it's it's actually a great use of power, so... We it didn't is. really get to see much out of Harold because he, he died so early on in the series, but, you know, his use of his... Uh, his power is actually better th- than when Harold used them. I mean, I mean yeah. it leads the question, like when you consider like some of the great plot holes in this entire story, like are the moratory members powers created like on demand? Like, do they specifically give you a certain power set? Like take an example, like backhands power, which are direct tribute, you know, to Harold. Uh, is it an intentional power or something that had to manifest and just see what, what happens? You know what I mean? That's very he, interesting. Yeah. Was he lucky enough just to get his idol's powers or was it bestowed upon him? I mean, think back when 
when the moratorium creator was was tasked from the upper brass to create an army of adepts. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, this seems like they can simulate or replicate power sets, and they can yeah. make like any power they want, which begs the question, why would someone make powers for a character to be so underpowered like Silencer? I mean, yeah, or or Beth Neon. Yes, I mean it With doesn't even make sense. Flower blooming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean she did. Now that's another that's another plot hole because she took the process on the side on the fly. Nobody even yeah. knew she took it. So did mm-hmm. she give herself flower growing powers? This is one of those, uh, you know, one of those giant gaping, you know, holes in the entire in the entire series, which I sure. don't think ever give, really gets explained. But anyway, food for I thought, people. I, I'm not sure they do either because it it is it is very. Uh, you know, a suspect that the guy who played Harold in the soap opera has Harold's powers. You know, it's very, very suspect there. Um, now, speaking of, uh, you know, <laughs> lame powers here, uh, Silencer, <laughs> she gets up there and quiets the roaring flames in order to hear and locate the workers that might be trapped inside the burning building. <laughs> I mean, example right here. I mean, she silenced the sound, you know, I'll, I'll, I mean, albeit she's saving folks, obviously. I mean, you know, but this is her only contribution to the team's efforts here. Literally, she makes noise stop happening. <laughs> but how does she how does she make just the fire stop? I guess You'd, she can. I guess she can. Uh, she has is she that powerful. Is she that focused? I guess she's like her own audio editor. I mean, I guess she has. <laughs> I don't know. I guess she's her own uh, her own version of GarageBand with Apple she's, or something. She can just get in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, uh, our buddy Sheer, uh, Seth Rollins here. He uh, destroys some falling debris as to not injure anyone who's on the ground level. Well, at least we get to see that you know his cutting powers can have at least some use. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, Louis and Aileen. Well, Louis, well, Louis tries, but uh, they use their powers to uh, bust through some locked doors. <laughs> Interesting note here, if you're following along with the book. So Louis, whose only powers are like it's basically radiation. He can he can illuminate things with his light powers. He can blind people, do different things, flash, you know, flash light and all UVs, this type of things. Yeah. yeah, UVs and all that stuff. So Louis usually <laughs> tries to open a door. With his light powers. I mean, seriously, you go try to open any door in your house. I, 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 I ask anybody, go grab yourself a flashlight. Make sure that the door is closed, at least closed, doesn't have to even be locked. And now turn on your flashlight and try to open that door with your flashlight. Let me know how you made out. <laughs> I, can, I, I can tell you, you're going to be there for a while. Just just a heads up. <laughs> anyway, it's an luckily, all night job. <laughs> luckily, he had, you know how the only way that the door is going to open is that people see light from behind the door and go, what in the blue hell is, is that, that light? Yeah, yeah I'm going to open this door. <laughs> Lucky he had Aileen here who could actually do something about it. So It's true. It's true. Uh, our buddy Will DeGucci here, he sends out a calming message. You know, his, his psychic powers here to control moods or influence moods. Uh, so everybody is cool under pressure here. He's keeping everybody light and on task. It's funny. I mean, we gave the douche a really, really hard time. I mean, you know, he looked like a douchebag. He still looks like a douchebag. However, we're finally getting to see that his control being able to manipulate emotions is actually very effective. So, I mean... Sure. A lot of these powers start to grow on you. You get to see their use, but uh, you know, obviously, this particular time, everything is seemingly almost 
too too well planned out too here. convenient it, seems, it yeah. seems like everything is gelling exactly at the right time and we'll get into that a little bit later but uh you know what i wouldn't have given to have his you know power with someone like silencer as an add-on i mean think about that for a second it's a weird power to have a dude mm-hmm. you know what i mean like, are, are you going to give, like, this power that the douche got? Like, it doesn't seem like it, it fits with a male character back in the 80s. Now, in the True. 2020s, oh, think about this. I mean, what a power that would have to be able to control emotions. I mean, think about the uh, those poor new Warriors characters got that got skewered on the internet that Marvel tried to release. <laughs> oh, boy, Snowflake oh boy. and Safe Space and Screen Time and, oh, boy, I, I poor, poor Marvel. When 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 the, when that tweet first came out, I, I very nearly responded to it and and would have said something like, "In the time since this tweet came out, fifty comic stores shut down." But uh, <laughs> but since we are in such a weird nebulous time where things are shutting down, I didn't want to uh, I didn't want no. to make that comment. Good, so, good uh, call. so I won't, and I didn't, and uh, you never heard it here either. Um, <laughs> well done. Now, <laughs> Toxin, uh, old Ruth here, she deactivates any sort of. Uh, well, toxins that they, they might have breathed in during the process of fighting back this fire. Which, which you think about the times we live in, we could absolutely use a toxin in 2020, you know, sure. for the obvious, obvious thing that will remain nameless here at the, this particular podcast. Certainly. But this would be the best power set of all in modern times. <laughs> if you're building a uh, army of moratory toxins, we could have the problem solved and just move right on. <laughs> best 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this entire scene is a real tour de force here. I mean, we're seeing the moratory at their best. They're gelling. It's almost like if you're watching a choreographed dance. Yep, Hmm. this is uh, Cirque du Soleil superhero time here. Absolutely. Now, the media, as they do, are just swarming around our team. Now, Toxin, Ruth, our designated voice of reason here, she gives an interview and lets the public know that they were just in the area and they were beside themselves with happiness that they were just there to help out. They were in the right place at the right time. Now, another reporter approaches our phony Harold, so uh, old backhand, uh, to inquire about the rumors of there being a court-martial up for the original team. And uh, Mr. Mattingly here, he's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like, aw shucks about it, you know? He, uh, he basically says it's nothing more than rumor and innuendo, but doesn't really, you know, doesn't really comment all that much. Brava, our powerhouse here, however, she gets right in the reporter's face and tells her to back the hell off. Uh, <laughs> she says, uh, you know, she wants it known that the original moratory, they are heroes and they should not have their reputation slandered in any way. It almost seems like they're making up ground with the new recruits in this issue because they really started out on a bad foot for readers. Yeah. I mean, they really, when I first read them, they were grating on my eyes. I mean, it oh, was, I hated them. oh, I hated their guts. Even the way they spoke, the way they dealt with the, uh, you know, the, our moratory that we've grown to love here. But it seems like this is almost like a giant apology letter from last issue. Please like our new moratory. <laughs> you know, they're, they're great. We swear. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I do like the uh, Brava is is pretty cool character here. I think I like how she got right in the uh, reporter's face. So Brava, uh, not, went, not playing one, the games. One, one interesting panel with Brava. So this particular panel where she gets in the reporter's face, it's interesting because she's wearing almost like an Axl Rose headband. Yes. <laughs> and she has the weirdest set of female underwear I've ever seen <laughs> on a particular character. It's like. <laughs> Large and modular. It almost like it locks in or something over the top of her hips. It's like very cube-like <laughs> underwear. I don't know what to think of it. 
She must have got it from Cable's bedroom, I think. <laughs> Cable's closet. Uh, now, you're, not uh, getting, you're, not, you're not getting inside those, Chris. No, no. Just letting you know. Uh, now, a, uh, a van arrives to uh, take our heroes back to base here. So they, they don't even get to, like, fly themselves home. A van actually comes from the Padilla to pick them up. Now, we hop back to Detroit. If you remember, we had our stowaway Hordian. He's, uh, you know, confused. Uh, frustrated. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. And uh, we find him waiting in a parking garage. So he's kind of like lurking in the shadows here. Uh, he's trying to sound out words on in the parking garage. He can barely make out any uh, you know English words. But uh, as he's doing this, a family, uh, a mother, a father, and two children, they enter the garage to head toward their vehicle. This Hordian rushes them. And although they're unable to actually communicate... He is able to make it plainly clear that they are going to be giving him a ride somewhere. And so they load into the vehicle and they call up these this weirdly prescient GPS navigation system <laughs> on the dashboard. Oh, boy. I, <laughs> so I got to well, take a break here for one second. Sure. So I got to tell you about my first ever altercation with the GPS system. OK, <laughs> so. Back in the day, I didn't have a cell phone that could access, you know, Google Maps where everything is so on demand. You just literally call out, you know, call out to Google and it'll tell sure. you exactly where to go and give you directions and give you your arrows and all that stuff. Nope. Back in the day, they had these manual ones where you had to plug it into your computer and download maps. And it had a really, really basic, basic screen display. OK, so I was training and I was in Buffalo, New York, working for a, uh, a large retailer. And uh, I had no idea how to get back to my hotel. No idea whatsoever. I, I, I got there. Uh, I got to work by on a wing and a prayer, stopping in gas <laughs> stations and just asking, you know, where do, where do I go to find this building? And, you know, after several hours, I finally made it there. But I didn't want to do that again. <laughs> so anyway, one lady I work with said, hey, I, you know, I have a GPS. You can, you can borrow the GPS the entire time that, uh, that you're here. And I said, oh, great. Very cool. Yep, I went in and plugged it in. And guess what happens when you don't download the proper software onto your GPS, Chris? It it bears oh, old maps. Yeah, it sure does. It bears old maps. And when it gets confused, it does some very weird things. So yes, I had to turn does. off I had to turn off into a turnpike, which apparently didn't exist on this map system. So it had only one thing to do. So here it was, there was only a right turn to take. And my GPS starts and it goes, and obviously I merge into the lane and I could not get in. So I've never seen this. I'm from Newfoundland. I'm not used to four lane traffic and not only four okay. lane traffic, but four lane traffic that is so tight that there's not one ounce of breathable space in between cars. Like mm -hmm. you could not slip a sheet of loose leaf in between these cars because they were so <laughs> tight. I'm like, and people are gr like growing behind me. Like I have a pile of cars collecting and people are just easily merging and you know, it's a nice casual flow. And, and then you get Chris, the Newfoundlander who've never seen this type of traffic before, just <laughs> stuck and shell shocked. So anyway, I literally, how I got into the four lane traffic, I literally closed my eyes and just drove. <laughs> anyway, <Boy>. I had <laughs> to take a right turn. However, this right turn did not exist on this GPS. So the entire time that I was in the car, my GPS panicked me. So all it was going was turn left, turn left, turn left, 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 left. And it did not stop the entire time. I was ready to throw this thing in the garbage until they downloaded the proper map. So there you go. Thanks for indulging my GPS story. Move on. I actually have one myself here. I've talked about it on other programs, but I spent a few years repairing windshields. I was a mobile repair technician, so I had to 
my the cell phone I had at the time, this was like 2011 ish. I had a an HTC Evo, which uh, oh yeah, I was I was a badass with that thing, and uh, I was able to pull up maps with it, but it took forever. So uh, because I mean this was before. I guess it was before, you know, the phones were, the technology was there to like be a, like a 24 seven use sort of a situation. So like if you needed to go one place, okay, you could pop it into that thing and it'll drain your battery. You know, like the 10 minute drive will just kill your battery because you're, you know, using the GPS. But now I guess things are made with that kind of in mind. So, and I'm sure they're tracking us everywhere we go anyway. So they have to make sure that the batteries are good. (laughs) But uh, back then I had this Evo, which would have had updated maps and stuff. But uh, I couldn't rely on it to get me through the day because it would just die. Uh, you would one one customer, and I would have like a dozen a day. One customer would kill my phone. So I went to a Target and I bought a Garmin Nuvi. And uh, this was you. You yeah. went high. You went high tech. You went Garmin. Oh, totally, totally, totally. And this this was 2011, which puts it about one year before all the Garmin Nuvis came with free updates for life. So I got the one that did not have the free updates for life. <laughs> I bet you bought uh, it because it was cheaper, didn't you? I did. I did. <laughs> I bought it. I think it was like it was like 90 bucks. And this is at a point where like ramen noodles were kind of like gourmet to me <laughs> where, where, where I was financially. So this was like a big spend, but it was just to you know make sure my, my day went well. And uh, so I had this movie. Uh, the, the last time that it updated was like 2010. And, uh, we have a lot of uh, like rural areas outside of uh, the Maiden Phoenix area, and uh, a lot of my jobs were in these rural areas, which were like on sides of mountains, in the middle of the desert, just all sorts of weird places. And uh, one place was up in a town called uh, New River, which is probably eh, about a half hour, maybe a little bit more north of the, the Phoenix metro area. And I'm pulling out, and I go, and it's you know I'm following the directions, just like you said, it's like turn left, turn right, and it takes me off road. So it's a turn left and I see a path. It's it's not a road, but it's a path. And I'm like, oh, wow. OK, this is cool. It knows where I'm supposed to go. So I go and it, it weaves me through and it weaves me through perfectly like turn right. And wouldn't you know it? There's a dirt trail right next to me to the right. So I turn down there and I'm trusting this thing. <laughs> and I go for about I want to say maybe maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, on these dirt paths. And uh, and then it's like uh, it's like your destination. It was like in like 2000 yards, your destination will be on the right. And I'm like, oh, freaking hey, cool. I could just go and I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. And the uh, the path is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. <laughs> and then the path stops, not at a dead end, but at a cliff. <laughs> at a cliff, there is nothing in front of me. And oh, I, I get out of the car, I go around the front and there is like a 40 foot drop and, uh, and I can't get signal on my phone cause I'm in the middle of the woods. I'm in the middle of like, like I'm on the side of a mountain in the middle of woods and I'm trying to call the customer to find out like, I'm like, am I supposed to drive off a cliff to find you, you know? And, uh, so I'm trying to call them. There's nothing, no signal, no nothing. And I'm driving a, uh, a Chevy HHR. Um, now if you're familiar with, uh, like a PT cruiser, it's kind of like that. Oh just yeah, long. absolutely. But I worked for a rather well-known and large, uh, windshield repair firm who decided we didn't need windows in the back. So 
we yeah, had our that's... like our name, our company logo plastered all along the sides and the back of this tr- this little rig. Oh, no. So the only windows in this car were like the passenger side window, the driver side window and the windshield. There were no other windows. And the road was so narrow or this path was so narrow, I couldn't turn around. So I had to put it in reverse and baby myself back for like a mile. <laughs> oh, man. And I, I finally got back to the street. It, this this took me the better part of like three hours going backwards um, because there was nowhere to turn until I got to like one of the main little branches of this of this dirt path. So I could make, you know, like a little K turn and just get out. And I finally call them up and they're like, like, oh, we thought you fell off the cliff. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know about the cliff? They're like, yeah, we were going to warn you about that. The GPS sends people off a cliff. <laughs> like, you couldn't have told me that five hours ago? <laughs> <laughs> Would that not have been a part of the entire recall process, we'll call it? You'd think, you'd think, because it's like, it's like, yeah, I'll be there in 20 minutes. My GPS says I'm 20 <laughs> minutes away. It's like, oh, you're using a GPS? Well, there is a cliff you're going to fly off of. <laughs> I didn't get such a warning. So, uh, Oh, my God. GPSs can be scary. They can definitely be scary. Um, I think the I think the moral of our story, folks, is to spend that extra hundred dollars and buy the get uh, the updated the, the updated version. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. But I didn't die, so that's all that matters. Um, but back to our story here. Uh, this Hordian, he's looking at this like oddly prescient GPS navigation system on a dashboard, and he points to New Orleans, which wow. at least gives the family a basic direction that they're going to travel. That's a long ride. Um, That's a long ride, indeed. We we actually did pull this up on Google Maps. This is a 1,067-mile drive. Uh, according to Google Maps, this would take you 15 hours and 17 minutes. So uh, this poor that, hostage family is in for a long ride. And that car has some great fuel economy. It must, right? Because you're not going to get gas with an alien in the car, right? <laughs> so, I mean, this horde, obviously this Hordian troopers, you know, he's got some basic survival skills. He plans on living. He's got no plan of doing a kamikaze run and all that stuff. The fact that he has a plan means something to me. So he just sure. doesn't do the obvious thing and hijack a vehicle and hope and pray he can drive it without any issue. Nope. He carjacks, you know. So, and forces a family to drive him somewhere. I mean, this is this is actually some sound reasoning skills, you know what I mean? Think sure. about I I grew up in the, you know, I mean, when you think about let's let's talk about movies for example. One of the ones that I point to all the time is like Independence Day. You got like yeah. Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and they they commandeer an alien craft in this one, of course, right? Now, of course, they know exactly how to, you know, they don't really know how to drive the ship or how to communicate with aliens, but all of a sudden they learn how to drive it like a boss just out of nowhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> Escape and destroy the mothership. Now, you know, of course, that that's a little bit off the cuff, but I love the movie, but I can't even drive a standard car, let alone an alien sports craft. <laughs> and I don't know, uh, man, listen, standard cars, I, I don't even understand. Do you have a standard car or do you have just, you know, an automatic you mean like a manual transmission? No, manual I have no automatic. transmission. Oh my automatic. god! Yeah. Yes. Who? What? What kind of people in 2020 buy like a uh, a standard transmission? I, I just don't I, I don't understand yeah. it at this point. Unless, unless you're driving an 18 wheeler, I, I don't I don't know why you would have. I, I I think I think it's the it's back to the GPS story where someone's trying to save 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Could be. It could so, very well anyway. be. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Back to the more story. Well, not not just yet because I actually. Uh, I have some, not not really stories, but anecdotes about driving a uh, standard because oh, I, I used to. Oh, please do tell. 
I used to run a uh, a uh, dispatch for a trucking company, and uh, some of the drivers would just like pull in and like leave their rigs and then go home and uh, not park them when they needed to go. <laughs> and so like at 6:30 in the evening, I'd be the last one left, and I'd see like three trucks just lined up blocking off others other you know warehouses, and I'm like, crap, I got to get those back behind the gate. And uh, my first time. <laughs> I'd never driven a, a standard. I'd, I'd never driven a manual transmission. So I didn't know what a clutch was. I, I never no. was brought up on that. So I start this rig up and I'm sitting there thinking I'm like, I'm like cool as hell. You know, I'm like, I'll just pull this back. What's a big deal. And, and <laughs> it was the worst thing in the world. Lucky, lucky enough, there was a, there, there just happened to be other people at other warehouses uh, that saw that I was a complete friggin' idiot. And they're like, you need that back behind the gate? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> well, well, I, the only time that I've ever really attempted to like actually take a, you know, a, a, a manual transmission vehicle mm-hmm. out on the road, you know, we don't have the best weather here, Chris. So, I mean, when sure. you get snow and all that stuff, it adds it, you know, another area of complexity oh, to your entire drive. So, we had to go up this hill and it was called Memorial Drive and it's on it's on quite a slant, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. one of the one of the bad things about a standard transmission is that having to shift gears when you're on a hill on and you're sort of and- Yes. <laughs> so I had no idea I was not you know, I managed to get across a parking lot and shift gears and all that stuff. But when it came to a hill, here it was, icy conditions on the road. You're slipping as it is. Now you're on a hill, not knowing, really know what you're doing. Oh, and boy. you're, you know, you're grinding the gears. You're going. Uh-huh. And your car is moving backwards. It was one of the yes. most terrifying experiences oh. I've ever had. And not, even when I got it to stop. It would still slide. I was I was yep. just absolutely horrified. So when I got out of there and, you know, collected the hair that had fallen out <laughs> off my head, <laughs> I said, never again am I driving this piece of crap. And that was the end of oh, that. Oh, no. No, because, like, even, like, when you're sitting at a stoplight sometimes and you have a car with manual transmission in front of you, like, they don't realize that they let off the clutch. So they start rolling backwards into you. <laughs> It's like, what are you thinking? You're like nailing on the horn, but it's a red light. So people start freaking out. They start staring at you. And I'm like, this idiot is going to hit me. <laughs> and it's going to look know. like I hit him from behind. Yeah. And oh. you would have been blamed too. You would, you yeah. would have been, yep. What do you hit a guy? Absolutely not. This moron no, has a manual transmission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we digress and uh, we, we return to the new moratory headquarters here. And it's there that, that our originals, the first and second Jenners, they await their meeting with the high muckety mucks of the Padilla. And uh, we learn here that uh, it, they appear to have the complete support of the third Jenners. Unfortunately, I don't think the third Jenners get a vote <laughs> in the upcoming yeah. trial. Yeah, exactly. It's good that they did this, but it always almost seems a little bit too easy. Like there's not even one ounce of dissension or distrust. I mean, you think about where these characters were last issue. I mean, they were literally battling each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And now, I mean, they should have at least had one of the characters, you know, that were sort of sitting on the fence or skeptical. Like doubting Thomas, yeah. Yes, but no, it didn't exist. Every Everyone's good. Listen, yeah. every, everything's good with the rockers, Chris. That's all you got to know. <laughs> and suddenly, Louis is not as uh, forthcoming with the fact that he tried to turn on the team. He's like, he's like, oh, you guys like us? Cool. Yeah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about that time that we got to the alien horde ship to steal, <laughs> to steal uh, information. Yeah. Yeah, that was all about. That was the plan all <laughs> along. But uh, 
Now, we, we've been playing with this concept a little bit throughout this episode here because uh, it's alluded during this scene that uh, that fire that they fought back in Triad, New North Carolina or whatever was a uh, maybe it was a publicity stunt. Uh, they might have been uh, the Padilla might have been able they're uh, trying to, uh, to spin the current distrustful situation. Yeah, they're in damage control mood, and I think it's it damage control mode. And, you know, it is a smart move. The situation seemed like a little bit too convenient, so it had to be something, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. having a showcase where all the moratory, you know, were showcasing their powers, all except Louie trying to open a door with <laughs> with a uh, with a light, with a you know, could showcase their powers. But, you know, it was almost a little too easy for it not to be a stunt, so I'm glad they sort of came out and said that. It's true, and it, I, I think it's pretty cool because it shows just how easily the public is swayed to uh, to trusting the moratorium here. The, the big rumor was, I mean, the, the reporters mentioned it. The the big rumor was that there that the first and second Jenners were up for court martial for treason, you know, yep. against humanity. So this shows how easily it is easy it is to sway the uh, the public to you know get everybody back in the good graces. It also shows a distinct difference between the old way and the new way. The uh, the Beth Neon and Tulima way, they don't seem like they would do something like this. No, no. But no. with our with our buddy Yuri, you know, the new commander, this just seems part and parcel propaganda and uh, and you know uh, thought control. I, I think it's it's a really uh, subtle way to show. The, the distinct differences between the two eras and two I regimes. I don't, I don't recall seeing Yuri in this particular issue. Is he, he was actually not. in it? No, he was ah. not. Not even ah. on a screen. No, not even on a screen. Weird. But, uh, Strange. Yeah, but, but to hammer this point home, a hard case, uh, our fake Harold, oh no, no, not not our fake Harold, our, our other mustached man, he <laughs> says, uh, well, I hope our mission did the trick with the public. To which Aileen says, sure, smooth things over so the traitors won't embarrass the Padilla. There you go. There's your class confirms it. Yes. Now, as they wait for their court-martial, Ruth Toxin is informed that she has a private vid call waiting for her, and she decides that she'll take it in another room. She goes in there, screen lights up, and it's a... uh, Imagine this, a thin-mustached man. (laughs) No way! (laughs) Named Nikos! (laughs) And what one thing of not only does he have the thin porn mustache, but <laughs> this guy has earrings and not spacers like you see people wear today. It's like full on female earrings. So I mean this <laughs> yeah. guy this guy's a banger. He's stepping up his porn game for sure here. It's, you know it, it's you know what's funny? It's that how how things become like like disasters in the fashion world. Like ear- earrings right now on a male are like a fashion wasteland, you know what I mean? Sure. Like you see, you see guys right now, and it's trendy to have like a ridiculously large beehive beard and like mm. full of sleeve tattoos. You know, you're you're peppered from top to bottom. You know what sure. I mean? It's just not my personal taste, but you know, I'm not one for being trendy. I'm I'm the guy still wearing the wrestling t-shirts in public, so you know, I can't speak to any of these fashion statements. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but I do know that uh, the type of earrings that Mr. Nico was wearing would uh, would get you a beaten back in 1988. He is uh, he's very forward thinking this Nico. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Now, he he is called to tell Ruth that he is very proud of her, which prompts a very heated argument. Now, it's kind of it's kind of nebulous here. We don't know exactly what these two mean or meant to one another here, but it is alluded to that these two were at one point romantically involved and that Nikos was a rather abusive piece of crap. Yes, sir. Um, (laughs) Now, it looks like. It was Ruth's experience with Nikos 
that was like the final straw and ultimately led to her forfeiting her future and undergoing the moratory process. So it's like he led led her here uh, by his uh, mistreatment and abuse. Um, mm. Now, after verbally letting him have it, she disconnects the call. I think we got a nice character touch here. You know, we're finally sure. starting to get a look in the window at some of these uh, some of these newer. Well, not even newer. They're the second gen recruits. But mm-hmm. it's strange that up to this point, we didn't get to really see much about them. But it's it's good to see we're starting to see that now. So, yeah, it almost it almost seems to happen too late in their in their game. Like, you know what I mean? We're just getting to know these characters and then they yank them away from us. Not sure. saying that we're going to see that here with Ruthie, but, uh, no, not you know, yet. but anyway, what's strange is that, you know, it's easy how easy it is for an outsider to just make a video call to the moratory. Like no one screens calls in this place. You can just pick up the phone and contact one of these media superstars. Like, can you just contact, like, say for example, you want to talk to the, I don't know, the general of the U S army, just pick up the phone and call him. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way it works. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the moratorium. Oh, no, that wasn't a call. That was a disc that they flipped into Radian's lampshade. Yeah. The moratorium, <laughs> the, the horde didn't call him. They, they, they gave him reason to call them. Correct. But uh, now we jump back to the carjacking here and uh, really, really strong scene. This is uh, this is a really this is like a series highlight scene that we're going to be playing out here. Uh, Now, this family, this poor family that's been taken hostage here by by a creature that they can't understand who is pointing a gun at them. You know, they're trying to keep themselves cool, though they do understand the realities of the situation and the distinct possibility that. This Hordian, this this alien uh, who they've been, you know, schooled to, to learn has been trying to take over the planet, they figure that there is a distinct possibility that this Hordian will kill them as soon as they get to their destination, which, I mean, you can't blame them that. Exactly. Now, the Hordian himself seems kind of unsure, uh, unsure of himself, unsure of the situation. He doesn't seem comfortable at all. Uh, real depth, which I wasn't expecting to see here, and... Uh, he even views this family as somewhat noble in their bravery here, their ability just to to not crack up and not give up. Uh, they, they, he sees them as noble and, and almost gets like a begrudging respect or maybe just a begrudging understanding of them here. Um, exactly. The family – yeah, this this is great here. The, the, and then the family, they make sure that they tell one another that they love each other. Uh, you know, this is a theme that they've been the, – the whole ride here, you got to figure they don't know – what la- what what heartbeat is going to be their last? So they want their family members to know how much they love one another. It's great stuff. It is, man. This is this is super well written. You can really really feel like the undertones of like the terror and unease. Yeah. You know, you got you got the father trying to protect his son. You got the boy crying, saying that he's scared and doesn't want to die. And I mean, reading that as a father, that is powerful stuff, man. If oh, I had man. to put myself in this, this, you know, this person's shoes, you would do anything to protect your family, you know, if you yeah. really, truly cared about them. Uh, but, you know, it's a case study. You know, you're talking about your gravest enemies, what they might be caught up in a war. You know, chances are they didn't start it. They got to do things that they normally wouldn't do, like commit, you know, unspeakable acts of violence. You know, sure. these supposed animals like our Hordian here, uh, you know. Shows that they've got their values, too, and it's a great mm-hmm. lesson in, in these times. You know, this is an incredible book, and this story keeps flowing and flowing, getting more enjoyable as we go. And as, at this point, there's still no burnout or fatigue. Like, I thought we nope. would be at this point, you know, we would start to be on our downward slope. But, man, this one just keeps chugging along, and a scene like this with just so much powerful emotion, it yeah. just – it just speaks to the power of this book and why people should be reading it. I just I just love this, man. And this is one of the oh, true excellent. highlights of the series, man. 
Oh, totally, totally. Uh, now we jump back to the headquarters of the Mortori here, and it's trial time. And uh, what we have here is basically our team, you know, sitting in chairs and uh, video screens where the Padian elites will, you know, show their faces here. So it's not an in-person thing here. It's a, it's a, you know, one of those. Uh, it's a remote <laughs> court martial, I guess. Yes. Um, now, one of the Padian elites, he shows up on the video screen, and the first thing out of his mouth is that this is not a court-martial, nor are they looking for to, to, to lock anybody up. They're not intending to have anybody locked up after this. What they are really uh, you know, unsure of here is whether or not they still want to be in business with the originals, uh, considering the fact that they may have willingly you know, gone against orders. Yeah, still seems like a pretty big deal not to lock people up, you know what I mean? They're going through a lot of trouble here to get this point across. Absolutely. Now, uh, one of the newbies here, Sheer, he stands up and he starts shouting at the screen. He reminds them that the originals have already surrendered their lives to the cause. Like, like what more do you want from these people? Uh, (laughs) To which Brava, uh, you know, the, the powerhouse here, she yanks him back into a seat and says... You know, cool your jets. We'll we'll worry about the yelling later if it comes to it. You know, keep cool now. But if it comes time to yell, we will do it. Just not right now. Um, Aileen, who has kind of just been on the the sidelines here, she looks on, and she wonders if uh, they're going to be doomed to you know something like busy work for the rest of their lives here. If you remember, you remember Jaylene. <laughs> they put Jaylene in that box. You know, she was in that room just analyzing for the rest of her life what they intended to be the rest of her life. And uh, she's worried that, you know, they're, they're going to see a similar fate here. They're not going to be imprisoned, but they're going to be taken off task, basically. Exactly. And uh, she's also wondering uh, what might happen when the brass finds out that she is currently with child, which is a great question. <laughs> also a great question. When and where did she even have time to conceive this child? Think about <laughs> it. When your every move is monitored in a lockdown facility, you know, I think the big drama here is on uh, on days of our moratories here is who is the baby daddy? Who do we do? Who is it? Like, who was, uh, you know, who was the the wheel man here behind this whole incident? We don't know. We don't know a name, but we could probably hazard a guess that he he probably has a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, uh, yes, I think that you are correct, sir. And a pencil-thin one. (laughs) Chances are this bugger has a mustache. Um, Now, Brava, she she chooses to speak on behalf of the originals, and she reminds the command that uh, Jaylene, while they were away, she managed to bring back some very important Horde data. Now, the brass claimed that anything Jaylene brought back was nigh on incomprehensible or just way too sophisticated for Earth science. So... Nothing she brought, everything she brought back was for naught. You know, it was a, it was basically a wasted emotion. Um, Now, another big wig starts talking and he repeats the purpose of this meeting. Uh, You know, remember, it looks like the originals willfully disobeyed orders, which is something that the Padilla will not put up with. Now, the originals are blamed for the destruction of Muratory Mountain and the loss of hundreds of human lives. Uh, they, they may not be completely wrong there. Um, <laughs> now, Scaredy Cat stands up and lets the big wig have it. There's, there's a, really a whole lot of pent-up emotion and frustration on full display here. It's really good stuff. Uh, she blames the Horde for the destruction. She's like, you know, let's not get this twisted and blame the Moratori. They didn't pull the trigger. It was the Horde who did it. Though Those are our enemies, and they're the ones who want to see us dead. Yep. Uh, she... She also blames the Padilla for wasting what was left of Jaylene's life by locking her up in that room. And uh, the general gets a little bit snippy here. 
He says, uh, what I'm hearing is I want from a bunch of children, which, uh, I mean, okay, Dick. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> well, some, some people just don't understand. <laughs> no. Mean, meanwhile, back at the carjacking, <laughs> we have the father. Now he basically assures the rest of his family that once they arrive in new Orleans, Nolens, that they're probably going to be deep fried by their hoardy and passenger. Jeez, you know, yeah. thanks. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> anyway, and so he makes a decision out of nowhere, and it's the right one, to slam the controls right, sending the vehicle through a barricade and off the overpass. You know, at the father's command, the mother actually grabs the two children and starts heading for the hills. So they land pretty safely, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, thank God. Just in time, just enough to uh, get them away from the horde. Anyway, sure. the dad actually stays back trying to fend off the uh, the Hordian raider while, you know, trying to give his the mother of his children and his children time to flee. And this is yeah. a pretty awesome scene, I got to say. It really mm. captures, you know... Um, you know, what desperation you would go through to make sure that, you know, your family stays alive. And of course, Brent Anderson, once again, like right, right on the top of his game. And man, the way he depicts faces, he shows desperation and shock in these faces. And it is a thing of beauty, man. Somehow and always like, it's like yeah, desperation and hope in the same face. It's like optimism and desperation in the same face. It's you really just got to see this artwork. It is just, it's something else. I'd like to ask him one day, you know, exactly. I just don't understand. Like you say, it's like two or three emotions in one panel. You know what I mean? Like it's you, could, wild. you, you feel his work. That's how good that his facials are, man. Like it's Perfect. really, really good. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't talk about men's facials very much, but I mean, he's got great <laughs> facials. I will tell you that. He does. Anyway, anyway, one of the last scenes and it's pretty harrowing because it leaves us on a little bit of a cliffhanger. The Horde, the Hordian, uh, he actually fires his sidearm in the the direction of the escapee. So, you know, thoom, thoom, all of a sudden. So yep. he shot him right at his uh, escaping mother and kids. So things are looking dire. It's true. But first, back to HQ here. And it's Toxin's turn to speak. Uh, thankfully, Toxin, our voice of reason, will uh, we'll yep. lay it all out there. And uh, she appeals to the brass that the first two generations of Muratori should be allowed to keep fighting. Because, after all, they are heroes who have already sacrificed so much. The bigwigs agree that the strike forcers are heroes, but they are not going to suffer insubordination. You know, they're not going to have yep. uh, people tell them what they're going to do. And so Ruth's all screw this noise, and she proceeds <laughs> to kiss all four of the original moratory members. Now, an interesting note here is like, we get, and of course, the reason why she's kissing them, she's actually applying a toxin to them, yes. so a lethal toxin. So if they actually, you know, it, that that activates, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but anyway, one of the interesting notes is the way they display the kisses. So mm-hmm. we see her full on kiss the men, flush on the lips, not a yeah. problem. Like it's very evident. But then when she has to kiss the women, it's flipped around. You only see the back of the woman's head, and you know. Yep. You don't get to see the kiss. I was just wondering, was this like a comic code breaker at the time? Like, is no lesbian kisses on like the <laughs> on the on the short list of stuff there? I wonder. I don't know. It's, it I'm, seemed... I'm glad I'm glad you bring that up because I didn't even notice that the first time through. I just, uh, you know, you see her kissing the men on the lips, and you just assume. And actually, I have it here in our script that she kisses them all on the lips. I didn't even pay any mind to the fact that it was obscured with the women. It is. You, you see the yeah. men, they get kissed full on. I mean, these guys got porn stashes. You don't even know where theirs mouths have been. <laughs> All right. And the, and the porn. Actually, we have a pretty good idea where some of their mouths have been. Yes. And that's not a good scene. Exactly. exactly. Oh. 
but yeah, I think that almost has to be a sidestepper of the code there. Um, just not wanting to make waves. Um, now toxin, she explains to the breast that she just placed a lethal toxin on her partner's, uh, faces, lips, and all it would take for them is to lick their lips to activate it. And she says that quote, they'll be dead before they hit the ground. Now the big wig thinks this is outrageous, preposterous, and, uh, demands that she nullify the poison immediately. She says, no, unless they're let off the hook. The brass thinks this is all posturing, but she more or less begs them. She's like, go ahead, call my bluff. Just see how much see how much we're bluffing here. And uh And just as things starts to heat up, we're back in Nolens. Back in Nolens. And the uh, the Hordian uh, has recaptured his family hostages. Now, he has them all on the knees. This is similar to like a Walking Dead scene where he has everybody on their knees and you have Negan walking back and forth with a baseball bat. But anyway, here we have the Hordian. So mm-hmm. he ponders what he's going to do with them. He's actually captured everybody. But this one, he actually admires their bravery. So he actually spares them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? I got to be quite honest with you. I did not see this coming, but it's no, also... Neither. Also, one of the most powerful scenes in the entire book. Here's here's an alien race, one that they're warring with that they call animals and they have no humanity. And, you know, all kinds of unspeakable acts have been done by their government and all that type of thing against, you know, the human race and the moratory. And uh, this guy actually shows a conscience. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he actually lets this family go. He actually lets somebody go and he walks away to fight another day. And this is this is a beautiful, beautiful beautiful scene and probably why issue 14 is one of my uh one of my favorites man it's just amazing yeah oh it's great i mean uh, if we go back through like the litany of abuse that the horde has uh, the, the atrocities that the horde has committed here i don't remember if it was the first or second issue but when they were doing the shooting stars Oof. like they were throwing they were dropping a human one at a time through the atmosphere so they'd catch fire and people would see them as falling stars and then I mean, they uh, they uh, invaded a uh, basically a, a theme park and they severed the mm-hmm. heads of all the people, women and children, and he put them inside these put them devices. In the robots. Yep. Yep. And they uh, their pain actually fueled the power of the robots. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're severing people's heads. I mean, this 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 is a race that was out for blood, man. But yep. you actually get to see that this is this is not what this race is all about, or at least in this guy's case. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's you know, such an awesome contrast to. Yep. And it adds such dimension, and uh, it makes you it makes you hopeful that uh, that Absolutely. maybe you know maybe the horde can be reasoned with. Maybe there's maybe there is another way. And uh, this scene was just uh, phenomenal, just an awesome awesome scene. Um, but that's not the end of the issue because we need to figure out what's going on with this court martial, and we do head back to headquarters here. And uh, after a pause, the Padilla brass decide that there shall be no reprimand for the original moratories. Wow. So, yeah, so after a deep breath and a, and a sigh of relief, Ruth informs her partners that the antidote to the poison is ethyl alcohol. So uh, it'd probably be best <laughs> if they all head out to the bar for a round of stiff drinks. Um, <laughs> but first, she needs a moment alone because she needs to go cry over Nikos. And his earrings. And his stupidity. Yes. <laughs> Just think about this for a second. Think about some of the some of the big trials that you've seen play out on TV. Just imagine during the O.J. Simpson trial to, you know, to sway the judge to, to prove him not guilty, that he went around and he just poisoned people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. 
I don't know if that would pass, man. I think that would be uh, that would be not 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 something that you'd want to do. But anyway, no, probably uh, not. That, that's the end of that issue. And boy, it was a great one. And this time, and the next next issue, look what we got coming up. It's called The Cure Part Two. Yes. So maybe there's we're going to be digging more into that Hordian cure for the uh, the mortuary process. It's a uh, it's ramping up, folks. This is a uh, we can't say it enough. Check this book out <laughs> for sure. Uh, this Run, don't walk. Excellent stuff. Yeah. I, you know, and, and all these times, every every time we record one of these, I keep meaning to check if this is available on Marvel Unlimited, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of our friends are subscribed to that. And uh, if you are and it is on there, no reason not to check it out because it's, oh, uh, it's all time. there for you. Especially these, uh, you know, these first 14, you can skip the cats issue if you want. But uh, <laughs> when you see Will Spertancio flip past, everything else Whoa. is solid gold. Um, now, we usually put like a, the solicit for the issue um, before the issue, but this one kind of spoils things. And, and it's a bit misleading as well. Um, but the solicit for this issue is a family is taken hostage by one of the horde, but the moratory can't save them. They're too busy standing trial for treason. I can't believe how misleading this is. It just don't even yeah. like. It's pretty clear to me that uh, you know that Marvel did not give a crap about this book, as you know this assumes number one that the mor- moratory or the authorities had knowledge of this even happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did do they know that this is happening and they just kept the moratory back so to stand trial? There's there's not even there's zero illusion to that even happening in the story. No, so no. to say that our heroes are too busy to do anything, I mean that's that's pretty stupid. These it blurbs is. are clearly written by people who haven't haven't even read the story or even got any idea about it. It's crazy what written, they do with. It. Yeah, they probably haven't written read a single issue of the thing. It's uh, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. just ask someone in passing. Hey, so and so, what's the book about? Oh, we got a carjacking and a trial. Okay, perfect. We got this. I got this figured out. Yeah. Oh, boy. But, uh, you know, this month, as we mentioned earlier on the episode, we do have the mail strike, a letters page. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to read everything. We just got some highlights here that we want to uh, bring up here. Now, the first letter comes from Session in Seattle. And uh, we're going to read some quotes here. He says, the most captivating thing about Strike Force Moratorium is the way most of the inexpendable, which I think he just meant expendable, uh, characters croak. And uh, then Session goes on to say that he used the premise, or she, he or she used the premise of Strike Force Moratorium for a class assignment. They say, when I asked my class if they would die to save Earth, four hands went up instantly, five were delayed, and at least five weren't paying attention. So I, I guess it's the thought that counts there. Um, now, are you ready to be vindicated, sir? Yes, sir. Because we have some vindication coming. Oh, please do. He ends his letter with, uh, every person that I've met pronounces moratory incorrectly. So. Really? So I was wondering if you could settle a few dozen bets and give us a basic pronunciation guide. To which the editor responds, just for the record, it's pronounced Moritori. Bingo. M-O-R-E-I-H-T-O-O-R-E-E. Moritori. Moritori. There you go. That's it. Right there. <laughs> we, were, we were right all along. There, well, here this we guy's were. wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who was, who was that guy who uh, got up all in our face saying we mispronounced Moritori? Moritori, Moritori. Kiss my ass, Moritori. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have all been wrong. Myself and Chris were right the entire time. <laughs> See, we are, we are knowledgeable. 
podcast uh, podcast uh what, what did bobby heenan call himself broadcast we're podcast journalists <laughs> yes. yes well done <laughs> Now, uh, the editor also suggests that Sessions' class assignment require that the students actually buy several copies of Strike Force Moratory. And uh, don't bother asking your parents, kids. Just buy the thing. This is fraud at its highest <laughs> level right here. I can guarantee you that these letters are phony. I mean, think about it. If if this wasn't fake, then guess what? I'm blaming those kids who weren't paying attention for the reason this book got canceled. Yep. <laughs> what a pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Our next one comes from Mike in Massachusetts, and he says, I'm pleased with the handling of Jaylene Anderson. Too many times, especially in the comics medium and its second cousin, the movies, I've seen Christians displayed as arrogant, ignorant, and narrow-minded bigots. Thank Ooh. you for introducing the first likable Christian I've seen in comics. Wow. Pretty loaded uh, letter there, isn't it? Wow, wow, wow. We've said yeah. this before, actually. We Did have... we write this letter? Hmm. We might have, or are we, are we, maybe our, uh, our num de plume is Mike in Massachusetts. Uh, now the editor replies with Christianity was a deep part of, of uh, Jaylene Anderson and she was a wonderful person. We agree that there seem to be a lot of negative Christian figures in the media these days, but we're not here to push propaganda in any direction. So, uh, oh, take note, current year creators. <laughs> this yes exactly right when you're talking about what we see on the on the uh on the page in 2020 i mm. mean this this is just a breath of fresh air man it, there's no agenda 100%. there's no comics gate this is just putting out great comics on the rack every single week every single month and that's what this is about and this is absolutely one of the best elements this book had was jaylene her bible and all man it was mm -hmm. it was good you know what they didn't present her as being too preachy but you know what? It shows basically the strong, what the strength and what faith can do for somebody. And I think that was the entire message. Whatever you believe respectful in, respectful and earnest. Yeah. Yes. Whatever you believe in, if you know, if faith gets you through the day, then it's a good thing, man. And I think that's what we can take away from Jaylene. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and side focusing... note. Side note. Urgent side note. Ready? Oh. Yes. So I did my I did my homework. So Marvel Unlimited does oh, yes. does have the entire moratory ser uh, series. For you to read. And not well, only that, go. they have during uh, current times, <laughs> that's how I'll put it, uh, they have it for free for the entire month. Well, there you go. See, that is uh, that is definitely something you all should do. Uh, so your sure. excuses are out the door, people. Get to, get to read. <laughs> we want book reports starting next week. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Jaylene's faith here was uh, was one of the one of the great elements here because it it it, it treated it very even handedly wasn't dismissive um wasn't used as the butt of jokes wasn't used to make her uh look uh, arrogant um and i think that's the way it should be with with all uh with all faiths all uh you know all points of view um you know faith or not faith i think that uh, everything should be treated with respect and let the reader decide if it's something that they uh that they want to uh, that, that that they can relate to or something that they can't wrap their head around that's for them to decide it's not for you know some some 20 something sharing an apartment with 15 people writing for marvel to tell you how to think 
Exactly. And you're talking about you're trying to create a cross section of personalities, lifestyles and all that yes. stuff with these characters. And they're all merging. I mean, this w- it would be a different if this book got like super preachy and like sure. the entire team was Christian and they were like Bible force moratory or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be a different sure. story. But I mean, this is one character, one set of beliefs and they're showing a cross section and the way Absolutely. that they have people interact with her. Some people believe some people dismiss other people go buy in and they're curious. It was perfect. It was great. It was very, very well done, very subtle and uh, just speaks to the talents of, uh, of Peter Gillis here. He's uh uh, this this book will be much poorer without him. Trust us on that. We'll, oh, we'll get yeah. there. Yep. Now our last letter comes from a guy named Justin, who goes by the uh, the moniker Freeze Frame. Hey. Hmm. Hey. In, was was he like an original recruit or what's happening here? I think he might uh, he he might be one of our honorary members here. He uh, emanates from California and uh, darn to Freeze Frame doesn't sound like a new recruit to to me. What's his um, power? What's his power? Is a wonder the uh, the advantage of flash photography? Is that what this is? That's yes, the benefits of uh, flash photography. <laughs> um, now he he says uh, Strike Force Moratory is one of the best, if not the best, comic on the stands. The only thing I don't like is that it doesn't have a letters page. <laughs> really. Now, instead of replying with uh, you know, hey, this book don't get no letters, uh, the editor just gives some glib. You know, BS answer about, uh, you know, the, some silly, funny, haha, you know, reasons why they can't do a letters page. But uh, uh, I think uh, I think we're on the same page here thinking that the book writer doesn't get very many. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a pretty om- <laughs> this is a pretty ominous sign right now. If you you think about it <laughs> from editorial and not only that, you can really tell that they don't have any interest whatsoever in carrying anything shooter related forward. I mean, Jim Shooter used to be their editor in chief. He is no longer with the company as of a few issues back, and they don't want anything to do with this guy or anything he had his hands put in. They're just shifting gears. And, you know, with the new universe and anything tangentially aligned with it, I mean, it's it's just a, you know, they're trying to dismiss it. They're trying to put it on a boat and send it out in the middle of the ocean and forget about it, basically. Even the epic line of comics kind of kind of hit its uh, hit its nadir here, you know, started going downhill and just uh, started, you know, ex- experimenting with a lot of things that I'm sure Shooter probably wouldn't have greenlit. Very, yep. very strange uh, times here. It's uh, th- there's a mandate in the air, it feels like. Um, exactly. I mean, we're, we're, we're speaking with hindsight and completely out our asses, but it, it, there there is a feeling here that there that there is a uh, th- that these moves are are manipulated these moves are uh, pointed um but uh one thing that do, we do get in letters pages in marvel comics is the uh is the silly uh, closer of uh, make mine marvel it'll be something silly some little joke and that will end with make mine marvel like until something something happens make mine marvel and uh, <laughs> we like to share those with you unfortunately there's only one this time um which is shockingly small uh, usually like every letter had it or all but a few but uh, only one. Uh, do you want to do you want to hit the, the folks with it? Till Mephisto and Pluto get in a snowball fight and make my marvel. Yikes. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious, Chris. I, I just fell out of my seat. Mm. Uh, <laughs> what a daft sod that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real knee slapper. Um, unfortunately, I don't know when the next time we'll have a letters page is. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll have a, a, a couple more. As, as 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 Roddy Piper once said to uh, Morton Downey Jr. on WrestleMania Five, yes, I've got a lot of time on my hands, people. He said, "Oh, you're a real knee slapper, there, Baba." <laughs> <laughs> you 
<laughs> but now into our normal bat back matter here, we have bullpen bulletins. And as always, it starts with the quote of the month. Now, this quote comes from Spellbinder in Spellbound number four. What's your favorite Spellbinder story? Uh, it got to be this one. <laughs> Probably st- Spellbound number four, yeah. That's, that's, uh, in that's it, the only one I know. <laughs> in it, Spellbinder, who, whoever that is, says, you're lucky I didn't disintegrate you or turn you all to elephants. Man, I really got to find the first four issues to get just grasp the context. You need the context, of this, of this yeah. Quote. <laughs> and if that is the quote of the month, that really tells you the uh, the level of quality Marvel's putting out at the moment here. Uh, <laughs> if that's the best they've got. Especially if we just read this issue of Strike Force Mortuary here, which was full of great lines. Instead, <laughs> Man. Spellbinder. Yeah. Oh, boy. Now we do have some news. Uh, first item, Lethal Larry Hammer, who... Uh, came across as a pretty miserable fellow when we profiled him a few episodes back. He uh, steps down from his staff editorial position in order to focus on more freelance opportunities. Uh, Larry Hammer, you know what that means. You know what step down means, Chris. Sounds political, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I've been in business long enough to know that folks who are step down, quotation marks, are, you know, they're normally pressured to make that move. They're either forcibly removed like Jim Shooter and the army (laughs) trying to take him out of Marvel or, you know, (laughs) But 90% of the time, let's be honest, it's not by choice. So too bad, Larry. (laughs) You know what? Too bad, Larry. That's for you shitting to bed on the last half (laughs) of G.I. Joe Marvel. There you go. That's what you get. (laughs) Enjoy your freelance writing, pal. (laughs) We learned that melancholy Mike Higgins and redoubtable Ralph Macchio will take over his duties. You actually get replaced by two guys. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yes. <laughs> AKA this, this dude was overworked. Then HR gets involved and, you know, we're going to have two people spread his workload over two people when, you know, someone else gets the job might've needed some help. You know, I guess we're crying foul here, but guess what? Mm. Bye Larry Hammond. Your crusty socks. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now our, our next item is uh, the Marvel staff. So the crew, the bullpen, they give editor in cheese two-fisted Tom DeFalco a birthday present. Oh my God! And it's his uh, his own personal robot, um, which uh, might be a slam against Mark Grunewald, uh, or or maybe it's something a little bit more salacious and dirty. Nope. Do you know why they gave him a robot? Because the robot actually appears in Kicker's Inc. issue number two. Just saying. You serious? That's the main villain, the robot. So they gave him a robot. Oh, my goodness. See, it's all based around kickers. Everything and the entire universe revolves around that new universe series. Wow. I it, was afraid it, it was something. I was afraid it was something kind of kind of gross. And I'm glad it's not because <laughs> um, I don't want to think about Tom DeFalco that way. Uh, or a robot or anything electronic. Or a around robot. Especially yeah. with a guy named Two-Fisted Tom DeFalco. I, I fear <laughs> I fear what that man does with his fists. <laughs> That's Especially with Mark Grunewald. I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. That's very to true. Each your own. Um, Listen, man, everybody's got their vices, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No judgment. Um, <laughs> we have a profile here. Ricochet. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. This is Anne Nocenti. There you go. And uh, we learn uh, that her current gig is she is the editor on X-Men, New Mutants, Classic X-Men, and endless other X-Mutant projects. Wait a second. Wasn't Classic X-Men reprints? It was. So why would you need an editor on a classic reprint? Oh, they they put in um they put in like a backup every oh, month. Oh yeah, right, right. So yeah. you are right, you are, right you are. So maybe that's what she's editing. 
And maybe so they, she has the maybe she has the go through to make sure that some of the dialogue doesn't necessarily reflect old time sensibilities. We'll say that's possible. That's possible. Now her past credits include Spider Woman, Beauty and the Beast, which I, I believe was a Beast and Dazzler miniseries, a Long Shot, Star Wars, Spider Man Annuals, and Bizarre Adventures. Oh, man, honestly, I'm not even a big fan of any of that stuff. I no. mean, her I got to be honest, her Star Wars stuff was hot garbage, complete garbage. <laughs> you know, Beauty and the Beast, I don't even know who that was written for. I mean, yeah. you're talking an X-Men book that seemed to be aimed at, I guess, teenage girls. I mean, it was like a little love story type of thing. Not, yeah. not, not great, man. Now, Bizarre Adventures, I did see lots of these kicking around. I've never, ever owned an issue of Bizarre Adventures. I always wanted one, though. I don't know about you. Do you ever have one? I don't think I do. I, I don't think I, I the, the the name stands out to me, and I'm sure I've seen them in passing. I don't think I ever actually plunked down any money for them, though. Uh, one of the things in that list there, Longshot, um, I was so psyched to get that because the Marvel trading card said that Longshot's first appearance was Longshot number one. <laughs> yep, Longshot number one, the miniseries. And it, it has uh, you know some fantastic art, but the story is uh, definitely not something that I that I dig all that much. Um I think it, uh, if I'm, unless I'm conflating them here, I think it was a uh, very mojo heavy and uh, mojo. Oh, I could no, take mo- mo- Mojo yeah. is terrible. And <laughs> what's What's long shots power or yeah. Long shots powers is luck or chance. Luck. Luck. Yeah. And he has hollow oh, bones. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And four fingers on each hand. So but, two uh, fist, I'm DeFalco. No, go two ahead. Fisted long shot. Now her current credits include daredevil, Spider-Man, one of your favorite stories, uh, that I used as our as our corner image last uh, he's, episode. He's got up here. <laughs> the he's Mad Dog yeah. Ward. Uh, also, the Inhumans graphic novel, the new Longshot miniseries. I don't know if this means there was another one or if they're saying the same one. And uh, you're talking '88, so it had to be the same one. Okay. And uh, now this one, I don't know what this is. The Someplace Strange graphic novel. The hell is that? I have never heard of that before in my life. The Someplace Strange graphic novel. And I probably should have Googled it, but uh, I, I – oh, wait. There, there it is. Someplace Strange, novel by Innocenti. I guess it came out. <laughs> wow. And what's it on? Is it, like, based on any Marvel characters or just its no. own thing? No, no. It's, uh, uh, I'm looking at the uh, the Amazon link here. It, it looks like it was uh, probably reprinted, not under the Marvel banner. I don't know if it ever came out under the Marvel banner. It was drawn by John Bolton. Uh, the uh, Our synopsis here is two brothers, masters of childhood fantastical imagination, vow to kill the boogeyman, freeing the world from half-seen monsters hiding under beds and in dark basements. Oh. Along with art punk nihilist Joy, the journey to a world of magic where ordinary rules of ex- existence no longer apply. And yet their fears... And the dangers they spawn are as real as the waking world. Dark Horse is proud to present the new edition of this long out-of-print modern fantasy. Written by journalist and comics writer Anne Nascenti with art by John Bolton. Something strange dares you to open your mind. Doesn't sound Uh, like a bad premise. Sounds like Monsters, Inc. Never seen it. Mike and Sully. Never mind. Okay. Ah, I wonder if that's a... Maybe they they ripped off Anne Nascenti here. She wants a... (laughs) She needs her uh, credit. For well, sure. I, well, it was it was by Dark Horse, so nobody read that crap anyway. <laughs> <laughs> man, these these projects, man, like nobody in their right minds at the time wanted those. I don't know what it is, but I think it's just a case of like, hey, Ann, 
come over here, you know. And when you're done doing those, uh, what do you do with this? Uh, we got this new comic. It's called Popples. Yeah, it's going to be huge. <laughs> Let's go ahead. We'll do that. <laughs> I think they just got her right crap. <laughs> here, Ann, here's something for you to do. Keep her on the payroll. Maybe she had there a nice ass. Go. I don't know. <laughs> her hobbies include acting, oil painting, piano, shooting cool, shooting pool, not cool, uh, any and all sports events, eavesdropping on New Yorkers, and getting in her truck and driving anywhere. Mm. Fair enough. Cool. She she is most proud of her upcoming Daredevil work. Ooh. Have you read that? Uh, what was her Daredevil work? What specifically? Uh, it was with John Romita, and it was very much uh, – it was very angry work. Uh, I know some folks who really like it. There's some of it that I like, but some of it is John, – John Romita Jr.? The... John Romita Jr., yeah. Oh, this is around the Inferno era, correct? I believe so, yeah. Like uh, Typhoid Mary would show oh, up, uh, Kingpin. Oh, um, oh, oh. Actually, you know what? It's pretty good. I just couldn't wrap my head around John Romita Jr.'s artwork at the time. I just thought it was okay. hideous. It was, but, it was blocky. Yeah, it was blocky. Yeah, I, I did buy it, though. I did buy it. I do have I'm those sure, issues. So. I'm sure I've got it, too. But there are some issues there that, like, border on parody where she's, like, like trying to be satirical. Um, Typhoid very, Mary's a satirical character anyway, literally. I mean, she's violent as hell, but, I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a shot in the dark. But anyway. Sure. Yeah, I did. So Anne stole my money. So I did buy that stuff. There you there go. There you go. There you go. Now, uh, Anne was born in Manhattan. Uh, so I don't know why she's eavesdropping on New Yorkers, and she is a born New Yorker. Um, her greatest non-comics accomplishment is uh, staying alive and sane. So I'm, I'm taking that to be that she's a Bee Gees fan. She, <laughs> she's a ladies' man. No time to talk. No Chris. time to talk. Uh, her oddest habit is to forgetting to eat and sleep. Funny, I I don't think I've ever forgotten either one of those. No, <laughs> well, you're you're not you're not as busy as Aunt Nessenti. That's that's the thing. <laughs> I guess so. Now, who would play Anne Nascenti in a movie? Anne Nascenti says Anne Nascenti would play Anne Nascenti in a movie because she's an actor, don't you know? Oh, what what's she been in? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, why did she choose comics? Well, for two reasons. Love and money. Ooh. Was she trying to get busy with someone in the office? Was this the deal? Was she just a, like a, a copy person? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> Now, people in high school, she says, never paid attention to her. Ah, uh, see, this is what happened to her. She's she, she's the writer because she's the scorn lover who never found a <laughs> husband. You know, she found her husband in bed with the next door neighbor and then had to go tell his wife about it and all that type of stuff, right? <laughs> now, the last good book she didn't read was uh, The Bone People by Kerry <laughs> Holm, a 1986 book here. Uh the blurb is a work of unfettered wordplay and mesmerizing emotional complexity. It weighs in at a whopping 450 pages. <laughs> I'm sorry, sister. You didn't read that. <laughs> the, la the, the last book you read was the instruction manual of your typewriter. That <laughs> Because it broke. Because you were chained down to your desk at headquarters. That's why. <laughs> you didn't read that book. Come on. Yeah, it's it's a you know I, this is something I I I think I'm gonna make my own profiles for people and we'll ask people what what was the last good book they didn't read and uh, infinite we'll find jest. out infinite jest that is always the answer uh, it's like the last the last good book I read was the first eight pages of infinite jest there we go <laughs> the book has eight thousand pages in it um, oh, man. the last good movie she saw was my life as a dog 1985 film 
Ah, see, that's a shot at Marvel. See, <laughs> she's got issues. Apparently, she's treated like a dog, right? <laughs> now, if if we we had video, I'd cue the footage of Vince McMahon and Trish doing the whole dog thing. See, there that's 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 what's going on. She's treated like trash in the workplace, and she's <laughs> she's acting out, baby. Now, this is a foreign film. This is a Swedish drama that hit U.S. theaters in 1987. It, I think this was a popular movie to say was uh was good. To, you know, say was like of your favorites here. This is a uh, you know, this is a Citizen Kane, a contemporary Citizen Kane. Uh, people oh, will think God. that you have uh, good tastes. Um, now, uh, biggest influences include Alfred Hitchcock, The Symbolists, and The City of New York. Which, I mean, she doesn't say Stan Lee explicitly, uh, and I don't think he was living in New York City at the time. So uh, I guess Stan just doesn't show up on her radar. Oh, you know what happens when you don't when you don't uh, give reverence to the Godfather? You know, you mm-hmm. go ask Larry Hammer. Go ask yep. Larry Hammer, and this go is ask not his empty going, chair. Yep. <laughs> this is not going to end well, sister. <laughs> you don't piss on the Godfather. <laughs> it's true. Larry Hammer was the only one who didn't credit Stan Lee in his profile. So, uh, yeah, go check with uh, his empty office and see how that worked <laughs> out for him. Now, Anne's unfulfilled ambition is to draw a story, and I don't believe she ever gets that opportunity. Well, poor baby. Now, the worst part of her job is telling talented new artists that she has no work for them. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah. We've got we've got nothing for you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. When nobody she should get a job with the WWE. That's true. We have nothing for you. We got got nothing for you, Drew McIntyre. (laughs) When uh, nobody's listening and likes to sing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she does. Listen, if a tree actually falls in the woods when no one's around, doesn't make a sound. I think about that. <laughs> Both Anne sings when no one around. Is she actually making a sound? Does Ooh. she even exist? Are we just huh. role? Are we just role players in one person's story? Is this God's plan? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe I'm overthinking this, Chris. I don't My know. My mind has been blown. <laughs> now we, you know, I, I, I I'm not going to sleep until we hear Anne Ascenti sing. We, we need to get her to sing. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be all out of sorts for the rest of my life. I just opened the doors this for the is, questions of humanity right this here. This is an existential crisis right here. This is uh, We apologize to the listeners here this, for any kind of uh, harm this is bringing to you and your, and your worldview. <laughs> Man, oh, we don't actually exist. We are literally just voices simulated for your own life. We're actually just – we're just pawns in the, our listeners' ears. That's all we are. We don't really exist. We're not real people. I'm shattering over here. Man. Too much. I, I, <laughs> I need those new, new warriors to calm me down. Um, now, what the world should know about Anne Nascenti. Nothing more than what she told them. So uh, That's great. That's all I require, ask. too. Yeah. <laughs> no follow-up needed here. <laughs> you win, Anne. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> we have oh, our man. mighty Marvel checklist. Strike Force Moratori gets a blurb, but it's for the wrong issue. What is going on? Strike Force Moratori number 16. Are they even trying? Are no. they even trying? No. But uh, we do get a glimpse into the crystal ball here. Strike Force Moratori 16. This is episode 14, looking at Strike Force Moratori number 14. Uh, it's Grudge Match, written by Peter B. Gillis, penciled by Wills Protasio. Oh, and no. by Scott Williams. So, yeah, Wills. So- Coming back. So we went from Al Williamson and Brent mm-hmm. Anderson, and now we have Wills Portacio and Scott yes. Williams. Oh, man. We <sighs> do. 
Maybe so, I'll tap uh, out on issue 16. Maybe the moratorial process will kill me before I'm able to <laughs> do that show with you. I don't we, know. we just got to keep our fingers crossed that there are no cats in the issue. Um, oh, no. And we'll be good. Oof. Now, uh, now, Captain America 339. Uh, I'm including this one for two reasons, and uh, it's the two reasons that they list here in the blurb. X-Factor's foe Famine is on the loose, which uh, tells you how high up in the pecking order Captain America was at the time. <laughs> One of the horsemen, the, the lamest horseman, is, is fighting it's Captain the, America. It's the Paul Roma of the yes. uh, uh, of the whole deal. It's true. And also, see the captain's new shield. I don't remember that. I don't either. What was yeah. new about it? I don't know. I, I can't. I I can picture a few times where he swapped shields. This was certainly not one of those times. But uh, I I guess I could be mistaken. Did he ever have um, that lenticular shield that his action figure was packaged with in Super With the Super Secret Wars? Wars. <laughs> yeah. When everybody had shields for apparent, no apparent reason? I, I know he had like a holographic one after uh, after Hero's Return, uh, but uh, that oh, was yeah, yeah. short-lived. But uh, I don't remember one in, in 1988. But, uh, Weird. You know, Weird. May, maybe, maybe one of the listeners can send us a photo of that. Uh, I suppose we could have. We could have researched it, but uh, we didn't. Um, <laughs> it's not worth the Google, Chris. No, probably not. Uh, Punisher number seven. I included this one because, uh, man, the Punisher forays into the world of toxic waste. (laughs) (laughs) Man, this series was just a drop off a cliff. This is, oh, this is so bad, man. That Punisher solo series. Man, I was digging everything Punisher at this time, and they put out that solo series, and it was just like... Yeah, we're just going to, yeah, it was done by Mike Zeck. And I mean, it was beautiful. It was yep. hardcore. It was 100% Punisher. And then they put out its solo series. I don't know what it was back then. Like, they had Wolverine. They launched Wolverine solo series, who was hot as balls back then, man. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first thing they did was take away his suit, took him away from the X-Men, and they sent him over to Madripoor. Yep. As Patch. What? Yep. I don't want Patch. I want Wolverine in a suit interacting with the X-Men. Like, what kind of garbage is this? I don't. Oh, well, man. The, the rumor is that uh, that Claremont was trying to tank the mini because he didn't want to do an ongoing. That's the rumor. I don't know if it's true, but uh, I think. <laughs> I mean, well, they t- they tanked it. They... <laughs> I hate I hate I hated that Wolverine title. I hated it. Thought it was complete garbage. Same with the Punisher series. I mean, my God, you like he he almost didn't interact very much at all with the Marvel universe. He was fighting no. street level thugs and yeah. you know military guys, and it was, oh, it was just so not what I wanted at the time for both. And I mean, those two characters, Wolverine and the Punisher, were I mean they were molten hot at the time. Oh, and this is what you do to them. The entire style, yeah. Oh man, yeah. I don't get it. Speaking yeah, of books that are not hot, <laughs> yes, Star Brand number eleven. And in it, the true nature of the white event is revealed, written and penciled by John Byrne. Oh, man. So shooters out the door. The John. new universe concept is they're trying their best Loundering. to make sure that, yeah, yeah. that this doesn't sail. But John Byrne gets on the book. And I'll tell you what. He really made a difference on this book. This was same as like Alan Moore jumping on Swamp Thing just before, mm-hmm. you know, doing the entire thing and, you know, revitalizing the character. He really did a good job with Starbrand. I, I would recommend his his few issues that he did of uh, with the Starbrand series because he tried to take it to the next level, but, man, there was nobody left reading this thing. And Marvel went out of their way not to push that, it. 
to bury that yeah. new universe. And here's John Byrne, you know, a guy that, you know, brought new heights to, you know, things like Fantastic Four and to uh, the X-Men back in the day. And they stick him sure. on star brand just to die because, I mean, you had, you know, you had the, you had these new artists starting to bubble up. You know what I mean? You had uh, the hot new artists that were appearing and these old guys, the old guard were being pushed down the line. You know what I mean? What a mm-hmm. shame. It's true. It's true. And uh, we didn't mention them individually here, but all the X books are in the process of wrapping up the fall of the mutants. Uh, we, it wasn't we a bad those series. Ads. It, oh, it was a good one. Yeah, yeah it was all right. It was good. Yeah. And we looked at those ads over the last couple of months or last couple of weeks worth of shows. Um, and here they are wrapping it all up. But uh, speaking of ads and wrapping up, we do have some and uh, they're mostly new. Uh, I feel like we were getting a lot of repeats there for a while, but uh but yeah, I guess like uh, I guess the new ad uh, the new ad line started now, so we have some new stuff here. The uh, first one is the M&M's Quartz Watch, which is a yeah. wildly stylish, um, and uh, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> you can have it for nine dollars ninety five cents American and three proofs of purchase. I like how calling it a quartz watch was something you know attractive back in the day. Yeah, it's that a was a perk. quartz watch. Yeah. It's like oh. calling. It's like it's like having a Casio today. Look at your watch. It's a Casio. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like the the very basement of uh, of watches. But I mean, no. just take a look. I mean, yeah. these watches oh, you man. would not spend a dollar twenty five like <laughs> at a dollar shop to buy these. I wouldn't things expect right now them today. to work a day. Oh, I, I would expect those to last maybe like fifteen minutes and then just sit on your wrist dead. So they're cheap plastic. They've got like M&Ms in the face of the mm-hmm. the thing. They've got a green and a red strap. Band, yeah. Uh, yeah, a band. And uh, it, it, it's hideous looking, to be quite honest with you. Now, uh, in the ad, so they have an arm reaching into a bag of, uh, of M&Ms, okay? And the arm is similar to a snake. So they have it like, like almost a like a... Yeah, it's almost like a W. It's 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 snake-like, but all the way through the arm, they have different M&M watches. Now, one thing that's that sticks out to me when I'm looking at this M&M quartz watch ad <laughs> is uh, M&M's. The bag of M&M's that they show, they just say M&M's plain chocolate. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Do they still have that in the U.S.? Because they do believe they're still, so. They're still yeah. called plain. They're still called plain. Yeah. <laughs> We do not have that here in Canada. Those the uh, brown bag M and M's are just called M and M's. There's no criteria to them. Oh, you know what? You might. I, you know, I, I don't think I've looked at a bag of M and M's in a long time. You might be right. I do remember yeah. them saying plain in my childhood, but yeah, yeah, I I don't recall whether or not they do. I think it's just uh, it's just M and M's and peanuts right now. Let's see here. Um, I'm looking at a bag right now. It just says milk chocolate. There you go. Yeah, M&M's go. milk chocolate. So, yeah, it doesn't say plain anymore. I, 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 yeah, I, I miss that. I think it should say plain. I think that's uh, <laughs> that gave it character. Yeah, it specifies. Yeah, you get, really got to know. Now, they say that this watch is actually valued at $30, but now, wow. only with three proofs of purchase, you get it for $9.99. That's a lot of money back then, man. Sure. So, you had to buy three bags of M&M's. They were at least a dollar each. Yeah. Right? So, you're, you're paying... You know, at least seventy-five cents or two a buck. Or fifty, fifty, yeah, fifty cents, seventy-five cents, yeah. Were they fifty cents? We we didn't I, have that luxury here in Canada. We we Paul. Well, no. But but yeah, I mean, look at the money you're spending here. I mean, you're spending basically twelve dollars for a one dollar watch, and they're telling you that it's a thirty dollar <laughs> value. Good lord! And did you have to pay shipping? 
I gotta see. Um, Check this thing out here. It does not say shipping. Uh, it does it say allows, that allows six to eight weeks. Yeah, six to eight weeks. By that time, the child has grown up and no longer fits on his wrist, and he's gone through university, and <laughs> life has gone on. And the he's offer gonna actually be expires. too old. <laughs> yeah, the the offer actually expires September thirtieth, nineteen eighty eight. So there you go. Yeah, and the, and if if Mike's Amazing World is right, this book hit the shelves on September first, right? So you have a month to uh, order your M and M's quad color watch. <laughs> oh, and they boy. had a they had a few little quotes there, just funny quotes, right? So they had yeah. Charles Dickens saying, "The best of times." Get it? Because it's a watch. <laughs> they said it's a classic M M&M and M thriller, and that was sent in by Delicious from the Candy Times. Boy, oh, I mean, just the hijinks keeps on keeps on rolling. Mm. You're a real knee slapper, there, Baba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh boy, oh boy. Pounder well, bags from Snack Reviews is truly a celebration of our time. The fun never stops. Of our time, False. get it? False. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to uh, have your name as Pounder Bags either. <laughs> Jesus. That, that could be a new recruit. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Powers>, Chris. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> Now, the next ad is an old favorite of mine. If you've uh, read comics in the mid-80s, this one will jump off the page at you. This is uh, where you could join the Tang brand breakfast beverage crystals soccer team, featuring the only soccer player I know by name, (laughs) Pele. Pele or Pele, or how you say his name. It's definitely Pele. Yeah, that's the only soccer player I could name you. And uh, I do love that they have they have like this little thing under the word Tang brand. They have brand breakfast beverage crystals. Jesus, what? Like who? <laughs> you think about it. okay, so it's obviously a sign of the time. So they have Pele on the poster. It's it's mm-hmm. actually a drawn poster. It's not even a picture of Pele. So I don't know yeah. if he actually knew he was sponsoring. <laughs> <laughs> but I look at this from a Canadian perspective, and I mean soccer, literally, or or international football, whatever you whatever you want to call it. Uh, was not popular enough. And you know what? Pele was not even a name that even really transferred over unless you were a real sports fan in Canada at the time. So, I mean, this was not something we talked about in high school or, you know, growing up or whatever. So it's really, really strange that this... So how big was soccer in the States at this time? Do you know who Pele was? Was it on TV? We certainly didn't get it. I I played soccer as a kid until my parents let me stop. So... uh... That oh, was, yeah, I played, uh, that was, I played soccer. I played soccer in gym class and things like that. But, but that I mean, was uh, about it. And I think the only reason I knew Pele was from this ad. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Instant recognition. That's it. Now, now, think about this, though. Do you think that the, that Tang would survive this day and age? Well, it's still around, number one. But okay. who in the right mind loads up their kid full of Tang in the morning? Be quite honest with you. How much yeah. sugar is in that? All of it. All the sugar in the world is in a pack of Tang, I'll tell you. Every it's bit. True. And oh we, we got to set up – I think we got we to gotta actually set up a voicemail box here because I, I want the listeners to call in and try saying brand breakfast beverage crystals. <laughs> They're playing with you. That's Tang for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, for this, you, you could join the, the Tang uh, soccer team. And uh, in order to do so, you need one Tang label and 60 American cents. And that will get you an action poster of Pele. We don't know if it's been drawn or if it's a photo. 
He has um, no idea. It's definitely drones. <laughs> he has no idea. <laughs> it's it's him holding like a can of Coke, but they spray painted Tang on it or something. Um, you also get the official Tang soccer team Iron On patch. Uh, okay. I was all about the Iron Ons at the time. Sure, sure. On your on your denim that? jacket. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you could be a Goonies and part of the Tang soccer team. Um, <laughs> And, and How cool would you be busting yeah. into an arcade back in the day with your Tang patch? Look at this guy. He's serious. He's got a Tang patch. He's on Team oh. Tang. If we can bring that 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 Tang uh, device from the other ad from a few months ago, that <laughs> that would make it all the better. Um, you also get a rebate catalog for Spalding soccer gear. Okay. Okay. You also learn Pele's best soccer tips, which would Good probably. Lord. Probably go really well with that George Brett's Secret of Baseball VHS that we we talked about a few episodes ago. So you've now mastered two sports, um, plus a membership card, which uh, I think that might be what the re- the moratory recruit program is missing. A membership card, uh, I think, would move a lot here. Oh my God, like I can't even believe this. Like this is a fully and only sixty cents. Only sixty cents. This is and and a, and a Tang a label, of course. So, oh my uh, God, this is yeah. unbelievable. This is like a, a massive deal. This Heck is one of the deal. best deals ever in comic books, even though Pele had no idea he was attached to. <laughs> That's how they could afford to do it. They're not paying him anything. But I mean, <laughs> listen, I mean, Tang, Tang, the company must be dying this day and age. I mean, everything is getting away from sugar. Sugar is the enemy, people. I mean, do you remember when Coke and Pepsi came out with their zero lines? Oh, yeah, yeah. Coke Zero, and then they switched it to Coke Zero Sugar just to make sure that they knew that it was sugar that was zeroed out. <laughs> <laughs> then then they switched it out, and they put all kinds of different sweeteners, and then you have, you know, aspartame, and, you know, you had people there going around with, like, metal plates in their head and freaking out and sure. all kinds of weird stuff going on, and you had people going blind. Oh, it was just, all, just a whole thing, but anyway, sugar for me was always the thing I grew up on because my dad actually sold Coke. Okay. So we didn't have any of these restrictions as a kid. So it's a wonder that I don't have diabetes and, you know, I still have all my limbs and I can see. So it's a miracle <laughs> because I tell you what, part of his thing, he was a wholesaler. So everything, everything he had, he owned. So his, okay. all his product he physically owned, it was his inventory bought and paid for. So what sure. that meant, we had an unbelievable amount of Coca-Cola in our basement. So Saturday there mornings when I would get home from school and all, when I would get off school, I'd be sticking on VHS tapes. I'd have a stack of VHS tapes, and I would start going with a nice bag of Hostess chips before my parents <laughs> got up, and I would start going through Coke cans. And, I mean, by the time that they would get up in the morning, I would have six or seven of those things smashed on the table, and they would You're look wide. at me every time. Yeah, they were <laughs> like, Chris, you can't drink that much Coke. At the time, we didn't know it was bad for us, so. Sure. Like, okay, sure. mom, don't worry. Yeah, and and then you know, I, I blame my parents right now for for my morbid obesity. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. Now, let me drink all the coke. <laughs> now to answer some questions about tang here, the first ingredient in tang is sugar, of course. Uh, it's, it's all the sugar. All the sugar. An eight ounce serving of tang contains 24 grams of sugar. That's part of a balanced <laughs> breakfast, right? Wow. Oh my God! You attach your cereal to that. My God, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a dumpster Bouncing full of sugar. Yeah, <laughs> no. uh, there is a Tang Zero Sugar though, so um, that that does exist in the world. You can you can get that if you. That's uh, probably you probably dare. sweetened by stevia. Ah, uh, stevia. It's not sugar. It's stevia. Shut up. Either stevia or Splenda, probably. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's that that, the, that weird f- 
fruit, uh, like apple flour, uh, the apple sugar or whatever it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. cane sugar. Well, yeah. cane cane sugar is actually sugar, but it's sugar, anyway. sugar, yeah. But uh, yeah, sugar is uh, is definitely the enemy here. I I cut out sugar from my diet, and I and it, just in the past like year, I've dropped like eighty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm telling you, man. Oh, it's true. It's uh, all I drink now, and I and I get crap for it anytime I mention it. But I, I drink seltzer. I drink flavored waters now, and that's Absolutely that's love a, it. Oh, it's it's the best stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, sugar is uh, is dangerous stuff. It's very very dangerous. And uh, but but Tang, by God, I would love a glass of '80s Tang right now. Pour it up, some ice. <laughs> There's so much sugar in it, it smears all over the ice cubes. Oh, it's just delicious. Frothy <laughs> on the top. <laughs> Loves it. <laughs> we gotta we gotta figure out a, a way to a way to do a Tang taste test here. We might oh. have to do a. A sugar-free versus full sugar taste test. Here. Okay, Some... we're doing it. We're doing it. That is the next challenge. <laughs> That's the next challenge. We'll do a we cup have, of sugar got... full and sugar-free. You gotta have original tang. You gotta have original tang. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, not the drops because be... you can get it in drop form. That's not the same. I tried it. It's not the same. Really? I didn't. Oh, you need oh, the, oh, the little you need ca- the powder. Yeah. Okay. You need the powder mixed up in that jug that had the flowers on it that every every household had. <laughs> yes. The little yellow flowers. The and, one that uh, yeah. leaves out the backyard when you make some tea twice a year and then forget about it yeah see everybody's on the same page canadians and americans <laughs> it's the great unifier the, the jug right. of flowers on it um another ad we have here and this is another popular ad this is the ad for the official marvel comics tryout book damn i love this ad and i always it's wanted awesome. to do it it is awesome here and uh you know we talked about the great deal for the pele club here this here is also a really great deal for $12.95, which might sound like a lot here, but you receive pages that you can color, pages you can ink, pages you letter, pages to script, pages to draw, pages to plot, and a how-to on how to make it all come together. These are all 11 by 17 heavyweight Marvel artboard for 13 bucks. Damn, that is really cool. Yeah. That is really, really cool. That Man. So the only time that I've ever drawn on actual comic book, like actual legit comic Board. book paper, yeah, yeah, on those boards or whatever, I drew for a, um, let me see, it was a newspaper called The Muse that it was at my local university. Okay. And uh, so I asked them, I said, hey, you guys looking for cartoonists? And they said, sure. And I just pitched my idea. They thought it was okay. So they gave me a full packet of this these art boards. Oh, wow. And, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to take me forever to fill in. A, you know what I mean? You're trying to – these things are big, man. Like 11 oh, yeah. by 17, and they're – it's a lot. You know, I was I was going to hand in like a sheet of exercise paper from one, one of my books or whatever. <laughs> That's what I thought I was going to draw my stuff on or like from a sketchbook. But no, sir, these art panels were huge. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, they shrink them up, of course, when they publish them. Yeah, but that's yeah they're story, all squared but. up. Yeah. I always wanted to do this, though, man. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I was a super fan of drawing. I loved oh, it. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. I had all kinds of creations. I had – now, none of these were particularly original when you think of their names. So I had this guy, Power Man. <laughs> wow. Hey. That's that's super original. Uh, he looked he looked like – let's see. Andy Gibb from the Bee Gees with sunglasses. And he shot Very light cool. rays out of his hand because he was a total ripoff of a Strike Force Moratori character, which I was reading at the time. No joke. <laughs> he was actually inspired by that. Then I had another guy who was a combination of the Punisher and the Joker mm-hmm. and Michael Ironside from V, and I called him Madhouse. Hey. 
I like that guy too. He was one of my favorites. He was a crazy guy. And then I had, I was a big uh, War of the Worlds fan. So mm-hmm. I like the aliens with the extra long necks and all the different things. I like okay. the spaceships and all that stuff. So I drew the aptly named alien guy. Oh, very cool. And his body was Rambo's with the uh, because that's that's what I drew. I ripped off Rambo's body every time and gave him a machine gun and a big alien head. That was Alien Guy. So those are mine: Power Man, Madhouse, and Alien Guy. Maybe one day I'll I'll draw a sketch and toss them up on Twitter for everybody. There you go. I I, uh, I drew a lot too, and I and I'd make up characters. I can't remember any off the top of my head here, but uh, I was very much and this is even before I knew who Rob Liefeld was, but I was very much in that same sort of frame of mind where if like there was like a single blank bit on the page, the picture wasn't done. Exactly. You know? So like my character would have an eye patch, a headband, a tattoo, armbands, uh, boots, uh, you know, blades on the boots, blades on the <laughs> armbands. Everything had to have like, just like so much on it there was just uh just an accessory he's a haberdasher yeah. for christ's sakes <laughs> so yeah, exactly so instead of pouches it was just a whole bunch of crap uh, at least you can put things in pouches i mean it, with all the spikes i used to put on my guys i mean they couldn't go to the bathroom they couldn't get into a car they couldn't do anything except like just stand there and pose but uh that Who was cares? uh it was all about the pose back then man for sure for sure and yeah and you're not kidding about those pages being huge i uh I was helping a friend put together a, a comic, probably, oh boy, probably around the turn of the century, and uh, I had drawn a few pages for him, and my art is is not good, um, but he needed something, he needed some work done, so I, I did some, and I remember I had to buy a tabloid size um, scanner, because, oh That's yeah, because Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there was no way to – because everything I had was so primitive. Everything I ever really do, even when putting these shows together, is is basically by the seat of my pants here. Everything that I use is is free. You know, I use whatever free thing I can make work. And uh, it was always the same back then too. So I didn't have Photoshop. I didn't have – uh, you know, high tech equipment. I didn't even have like the right pencils and pens, you know. Um, but I did have the 17 by 11 paper, and it just uh, trying to line that up because I didn't have a photo editing thing. So I would load it into like Microsoft Word and try to <laughs> assemble the page. Perfect. It was so it was so just uh, you know garage uh, you know work here, and uh, and so I had to finally get this. Uh, this tabloid printer, this tabloid scanner to, to scan the work in. And uh, I think I used it three times, probably spent like $300 on it. Oh my it, God. Did you ever get your money back? Holy hell no. Shit. Hell no. I didn't. I was an wow. idiot. I'm sure I put it on a credit card that I, that it took me you know 10 years to pay <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, it's, it was there next to my Palm Pilot until I, t- until we threw <laughs> it out. Well done. Perfect. Yes, but, uh, but yeah, those papers are big. That's a, uh, that's, basically what I'm <laughs> getting at here but uh <laughs> now th- what's cool about this uh, in a strike force moratory context here is that this little project would be won by one of your favorite artists oh my um, god I'm not aware who won it who was it well it's a fellow who's going to be getting his feet wet working for Marvel with uh this very book soon oh no no very don't soon. say it it does his initials are not MB are they they are oh I quit I'm done. This is the end of this podcast. Screw that guy. It was won by Mr. Mark Bagley. One of your favorites. No, sir. Favorite? 
uh, does not is not the word that I would use. It would start with an F, but it would definitely not be favorite from what I described. Mark Bagley and his elastic-looking plastic surgery botch-style figures that he does. Just <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I, I don't think it's that bad, but uh, <laughs> your Man. point is well taken. <laughs> Another ad we have here is a big one for Konami NES games. Woohoo! Yes, uh, sir. Two-page spread here with a whole bunch of words on it. Whip, dribble, spin, rescue, duck, hurdle, bombard, screen, roll, dive, pass, evade, sprint, raid, dunk, hurl, loop, leap, capture, stab, defend, shoot, invade, blast, escape, attack, jump, and swerve, bro. (laughs) Indeed. Well, man, I love Konami. So the first three games I ever got for the NES were, Mm -hmm. there were three. First was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, an absolute gem. The next was Nintendo's own Pro Wrestling, which I Mm -hmm. absolutely love. And the third was a game that I would play a million times over, and my kids and I still play to this day off and on, which was Contra by Konami. Oh, okay. Okay. And you could could bang out that Konami code. Oh, absolutely. and the proper code is, and people screw this up sometime and add an extra button in here, but it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. And then it's, of course, B-A, and then you have to hit start. So that is the proper Konami code. I hear people saying select start and another up, and I'm like, well, you shut up. It's not the Konami well, code. Select start is if you're playing two players. No. It is up, sure. up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start, and it hits. you got to literally scroll down. To select, you got to put it on two player, and then you let the screen roll, add in the code, hit start, and your two players will work. I select always did select start. Well, select start would actually move it down to two player. That's but a, if you that's, do, that's, yeah. But if, that's what but, if you, but if but if you do that manually before you input, mm-hmm. it's it's already there, so you already go into two player mode. Huh. And dun, dun, dun See. Huh. And did you know My whole that the life's kid, been a lie. You know that the Konami code is not only specific to Contra. It's for like oh, a ton of them. Oh, it's a bunch. Yeah, yep. a bunch of those. Yeah. I remember, and I didn't have any internet. I didn't have any code books or anything like that. Now, I got a ton later on. But mm. uh, I rented the game Life Force one time, which is also sure. a Konami game. It's a like a shooter. Yeah. yeah, it's a shooter. And you go through alien, you know, alien spaceships and bodies, and you fight all kinds of things. You're in a spaceship type of thing. And it's just a side-scroller. But anyway, my, my friends and I were like, hey, you know, that code worked on Contra. I wonder would it work on Life Force? And, of course, we tried it a couple times. It didn't work. And the third time we tried it, 30 men. And we looked at each other like, yes! Just like we, <laughs> just like we unlocked the secrets of the world, you know what I mean? It was unbelievable. But, I mean, oh, there's yeah. tons of games. Today, uh, now it's different combinations, of course. So there are Konami codes for... The Castlevania series, there's certain games that it works with. Gradius, the series is. Mm-hmm. And it even, up to Dance Dance Revolution, even modern games, the oh, Konami yeah. code is still in use, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's, it's, it's different variations, so, you know, check your cheat codes, but there's definitely cheat codes. But what games were they talking about when they were talking about all these whip, dribble, spin, and all that stuff? What games did they actually promote here, Chris? Well, we, we actually don't have Contra in this list. Uh, we have Russian Attack. You remember Russian, Russian Attack? get it? Get it? Yes, the Russians? Yes, they didn't want to say it. Very clever. Yes, and I, I remember not liking that game because I think you died in one hit, and I never liked the games where you died in one hit. <laughs> um, track and Field. Okay, Track and Field. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to bring up Track and Field 2. Yes. Okay, circa 1988, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, track and field two. I had just got the NES Max, which was the controller, and it had okay. a little circle in the middle, and it was like a handheld one with handles. Sure. And it it had turbo buttons. And, buddy, I destroyed Track and Field 2 with my Turbo uh, NES Max. I mean, I flatlined that game and made it pay for its sins. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I did. Love it. No cheat codes, just the NES Max. I guarantee you. you go. The master of the shot put. And you know what? I would challenge any idiot who's out there listening who wants to challenge me in Track and Field 2, come to daddy is all I got to say. Oh, we might have to set that up. We, we can get we can get us a Twitch channel, right? We can there you go. They'll be, they'll, they'll be sorry for that. <laughs> we also have Top Gun, which garbage. I never played. Never garbage. played. Absolutely garbage. I, I, I heard like a lot of people have trouble landing the plane, but I never played it, so I couldn't. It's, what, it's one. It's one of those with the bad sound effects too. It's like Top Gun. Terrible. The voice clips in 1988. That's that's awful. Castlevania. Castlevania, of course. That one needs no introduction. Um, We have Double Dribble. Loved it. Basketball game. Fun. Good game. A Stinger. That's a. I think that's a shooter with a submarine. Not familiar. Never heard of it. Uh, The Goonies two. Whatever happened to the Goonies one? Is there a Goonies one? That never came out here. That was a Japanese only, and I believe it came out on the Nintendo arcade, like the Versus arcade that were out here in like you know pizza places and stuff but uh yeah goonies 2 was uh one of those for me it was like a very claustrophobic game because you'd go into those like those like 3d like first person perspective rooms where like yeah i I never knew what direction i was facing i got all claustrophobic and it's like okay i gotta stop before i pass out so we rented that for a birthday party we had a bunch of games okay so Mm -hmm. here's how here's how long i played uh goonies 2 so like you said, now they had those 3D games and you had no direction where you had to go. Yeah. So the game was inserted. We listened to the music and the animation. We played it once. One guy looked at it and said, that game shit. And it was ejected and tossed out and never played again. <laughs> That's Goonies 2. That's our it review. It did have people. a really good uh, Cindy Lauper uh, soundtrack, though. <laughs> I had Cindy Lauper's <laughs> the, the good enough <laughs> <laughs> and then the last game on this ad is Gradius. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not much into shooters, but uh, yeah, it's there. It's fine. Uh, the last one we have is a subscription page, and we've already talked about subscription pages, but I included this one because it has a Christmas theme, and I, I love these. Um, Me too. It's a, it's like a picture of a fireplace with a uh, like Spider-Man's legging hanging from it, <laughs> like his stocking. Um, yep. And there's a fully decked out Christmas tree, a bunch of gifts pouring out from the bottom there. And uh, this here ad offers you a special nine issue subscription for only five dollars and twenty five cents plus two dollars postage, which uh, it's kind of like a one issue subscription these days. <laughs> no doubt. You know what's <laughs> funny about these uh, the Marvel the Marvel subscription pages, especially mm-hmm. the Christmas ones. And I always default to the Hulk one where he sat down with his, you know, with I don't know Santa, if it's uh, yeah with a beard on. Or, the, or no, the one the one where he's actually by the fireplace, he's got his robe on, he's got oh, his okay. legs crossed, and he's having like a coffee or something, sitting by the fire. And I, these were always comfort food for me, man. It was just something oh, that you'd see in, the, see in the comic, and you would spend time, and you would go down through, and you'd check out the titles, and you'd look at oh, the price. Yeah. 
and you'd always want to order them, but you never would because you didn't want to. I never, I never ever wanted to damage my comic, so I never would, you know, put scissors to cut out that little form to send it off. You know what I mean? It was always oh, a mind block to me for some reason. But and <laughs> I did end up subscribing a couple times with mixed results, as I've told people over and over and over on this uh, podcast. But uh, <laughs> nope, subscription pages equals comfort food for me, and uh, I, I, I wish there was more of them, and I wish I bought more. So there you go. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the, uh, you're right. This is a uh, total comfort food here. You could just, uh, and you could tell it's prob. This was probably like a quickie drawing that somebody put out. Just like, okay, we need the Christmas one. Just get it done. And uh, <laughs> exactly. it's like, hey, you got a fireplace? Put a put a spidey thing on it. Well, like it, like like, uh, like like everything with uh, with anything that was in a Strike Force Moratory uh, book, it's rushed. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's true. Just get it out there. <laughs> Although one thing that this this ad had that not many others did, they had the magazines. So they had they Savage Sword of Conan, and they mm-hmm. had the different things like Marvel fanfare. They had Tales of G.I. Joe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Conan the King, ElfQuest for seven bucks. Hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but ElfQuest wasn't specially priced, was it? Um, Let's see no. here. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, it was an epic book. So it was. A, I think it was a, maybe a little bit higher. Really? I never ever thought of that. Yeah, G.I. Joe might... certainly wasn't. G.I. Joe was standard at the time. Same with oh, Gru the Wanderer. Okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong then. Maybe, I don't know why there would be more. Uh, Not only maybe, that, you only got nine issues. Now for seven yeah. bucks, you're still you're still saving a couple bucks. You're still winning. Year. Yeah, yeah, but you got to pay two dollars for shipping. But are you really winning, Chris? For each title. <laughs> but that that's that's for Canada. That's for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, Marvel. Yeah. And then <laughs> then it would then it would arrive in a crumbled heap. Yes, if you're lucky. Thrown, thrown at your doorstep. <laughs> if it comes at all, it's coming crumbled. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, okay. well done. Well done. <laughs> that gets us cover to cover on Strike Force Moratory number fourteen. Another wonderful issue. It just feels like the uh, the floor beneath us is getting cr- more and more and more creaky and wobbly. We're just waiting for it to fall out. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's, there, there's a bag about to hit us. It's about to hit us, but uh, that is about all we've got. Uh, before we jam, uh, how about doing some uh, some plugs? Well, certainly, I'd love to, sir. So if you're interested in hearing, uh, well, not only hearing me, you can hear me more on the archives for Moratorium Mondays right here, and you can also check us out a little bit later this week as myself, Chris, Mark Radlish, and hopefully some others. Uh, we'll get together and we're going to discuss over on the W2M network on TV party tonight. We're going to be discussing the debacle known as WrestleMania 36. So <laughs> put on your cinematic shoes, people. We got, uh, we got some wrestling to talk about. And mm-hmm. if you really want to, uh, really epic and you got lots of space on your phone, you'll want to check me out as well. My contribution to Claremont to Claremont, which is, uh, which I'm sure Chris will discuss over here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, when you think about epic, uh, epic podcast. There's none more epic than the uh, the adventure <laughs> you just put us on, my friend. Why don't you talk about it? Yes, uh, I mentioned at the open that this has been a very busy week at the channel, and uh, the reason for that is that we launched from Claremont to Claremont, an X Men podcast, where we're going to be looking at the uh, the entirety of the X Men's offerings from the time Chris Claremont uh, left or was walked out or decided to walk out, and uh, till he came back in 2000. So this is a uh, you know, it's in theory, it's like a nine-year project. I don't know that it will be, but we'll see. <laughs> We're gonna play it by ear. <laughs> but uh, yes, it is. Uh, it is long. It is epic. It is uh, 
the first episode, which is available now at the, at, at christianreggie.com, christianreggie.podbean.com, 90sxmen.com, on all your sound-getting device applications, it is uh, 10 hours long, uh, a 10-hour long <laughs> episode where we go in-depth on eight books, eight X-Men comics uh, that came out during a cover issue, cover month, uh, October 1991. And also there's a segment where we discuss what was going on in Wizard Magazine as it pertains to the X-Men. Uh, so we're going deep. This is a deep dive. And uh, as the X-Line grows bigger throughout the 90s, so too will the program. So this is a uh, wild endeavor. Uh <laughs> It might be uh, it might be one of the dumbest things I've decided to do, but uh, we're going to do it and we're going to have fun doing it. And so far, uh, feedback has been uh, all positive. Uh, people seem to really enjoy the fact that uh, that we're actually giving a fair shake to this uh, oft maligned um, era in comics. It's so, true. And if yeah. you do like if you do like our Moratory Mondays, you're going to love myself and Chris's contribution uh, to. Well, Chris is on pretty well everything, but yes. Mr. Char- <laughs> Mr. Charlton Hero here, I have one segment, and we d- we discuss some of my favorite schlock X Force one through three. So if you if you yeah. like what we do here on Moratory Mondays, come on and see some Rob Leefield, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now you can also you can also find me at uh, Chris is on Infinite Earth, still doing the daily grind on uh, on blogging over there. Uh, also at Twitter uh, on uh, on Twitter at Ace Comics. Hey, aren't uh, you that UK comic store? I, well, I, I might just be. Good day. <laughs> All right. I was gonna say I was gonna say good day, mate, but that's the wrong that's the wrong you, uh, accent. You do to, uh, curbside pickup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot. We're not allowed to talk about that stuff here. Carry no, on. We, we don't we don't we don't discuss real life here. Uh, this is all about Earth eighty seven. So. Amen. <laughs> okay, we could talk about other things, but uh, yes, uh, that is all we have for you this week. Um, we want uh, feedback. You know, hit us up wherever you wherever you can find us. We would love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, how you like the the show, how you like the books. Uh, if you're if you're gonna try out Strike Force Moratory, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Especially if you're if you're just joining us for the first time and you decide to start off, we want to know what you think about those first few issues because uh, they are uh, they are a lot of fun and. Uh, I think they could be kind of a shock to the system, to the uninitiated. So I think uh, they'd be pretty decent conversations and discussions. So that'll about do us. Um, but uh, don't fret. We will uh, talk to you again real, real soon. See ya. See ya.